Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up in a punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's a big one. It's a huge one. This one came out of nowhere for me. Bill Hader is on the show. You may know him from Barry. You may know him from Saturday Night Live. You may know him from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Part one, part two, and all the mini movies. You may know him from the upcoming Adams Family Part Two as well. And he is here today to talk about punk. Never saw this coming. Huge, huge assist from John Worcester on this. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turned out of punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but John Worcester gets the assist for this week. And uh, he will get the message to me. I love you, Tristan, normally for what you do for this show. And thank you, thank you, thank you. You can also find me on various forms of social media. Well, Twitter and Instagram, at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it. Letting them all know that you enjoy this show. And then, you know, that's how we build the network. That's how we get this thing going. You can also uh, subscribe to this thing and rate it on your platform of choice. Thank you to everyone that does that. And there's a huge thank you to all the people that go over to patreon.com. Turn Out of Punk's Patreon, that is, and uh, support this show over there. We do footnotes and and all sorts of stuff. So thank you, thank you to the patrons of this show that keep this show going. And speaking of keeping this show going, thank you to the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do your show, just don't do it out of your own pocket, and they help me cover the costs of this thing over here. And for that, I thank them immensely because we would not be able to have all the fun that we do without their support. We're doing like two episodes a week now. Two episodes a week. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Well, approximately two episodes a week. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Sometimes it's a little bit less, depending on how wild the week is. But now we might be out of homeschool, so maybe we'll get back on some sort of uh, regular schedule. Okay. There is also Flood Magazine, uh, where you can check out right now. Flood Magazine uh, and Turned Out a Punk have worked together a few years ago and put together this Punk as Fuck series of videos where I went around Los Angeles and hung out with various people and just talked about punk rock. Like, if you like this show, I think you'll really like these videos. There's a bunch posted, so check out floodmagazine.com, punk as fuck, and you will find those over there. Like, I took Steve Albini and Don Bowles to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, and (laughs) fun ensues. (laughs) There's a new one up with Jay Howell, who did stuff for Bob's Burgers and done tons of stuff over the years for bands and like trash talk and stuff like that. It's a, it's fun. It's a really awesome series and I'm glad you finally get to see it. And also, uh, I'm playing this band. It's this band called fucked up. And we have just put out the first chapter 
of Year of the Horse, part of our Zodiac series. This one is a, uh, a long one. The first chapter is about 20 minutes long, so check that out over at Bandcamp. More information on that as it becomes available. I don't really have more to give you right now, but when I get it, you will get it. So check that out. And I think that's it for plugs. Big week for the show here. Today on the show, my new buddy, Bill Hader. Now, this all came about because John Worcester. Now, John Worcester, you may know him from the amazing work he does behind the drum kit in Super Chunk or Mountain Goats or Bob Mould or with any number of incredible projects that he's been involved with, like Psychotic Norman. You may know him from his comedy work. He is one of the funniest people, one of the funniest people on earth. And that's not just me saying that. I believe Bill Hader would agree with me very strongly. I think a lot of people in comedy would agree with me very strongly on this one. So you can hear him as part of uh, the best show and uh, just all the stuff he's done with Tom Sharpling over the years Sharp as part of Sharpling and Worcester. It's gotten me through tours. It's gotten me through. I wrote the liner notes for the box set. So if you really want to know my feelings on this one, I've, I've put like a thousand words pen to paper to express it. And now I got to put a little bit more words together to express how grateful I am for him supporting this podcast because he is one of the people that every time I put up a new episode, not every time, some episodes I know he will have no interest in whatsoever. But most of the time when I put up a new episode, I'm like, I wonder what John's going to think of this one. And sure enough, he'll send me a comment or two and let me know. So when he reached out and said, I've recently reconnected with Bill Hader because he listened to your podcast and he's a fan. And he, uh, I think he would be a really good guest. Would you want him to come on the show? Which, of course, I responded to immediately. Holy shit. I had no idea. Yes, of course. And now you're going to hear the results of that. This is, I think this is the longest turn into punk ever. Uh, it might beat Robbie Brookside part two by a minute or two, which would put it as the longest single episode of the show I've done. I had no idea it was going to go like this. When I sat down to do it, I was like, how's this going to go? And uh, yeah, then we chatted uh, for a while. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on. This is a good one, but there are a couple notes. Like, uh, shout out to Doom Squad. I recount the story involving Doom Squad joining Fucked Up earlier on, in the, or later on in this episode, and did not give them the proper shout out. So check out some of the things Doom Squad's been up to, because they are an incredible band. Full of, uh, full of incredible people doing really creative things. Also, uh, well, I guess that's it. Uh, apart from shout out to John Worcester again, uh, this is uh, all thanks to you, buddy. And that is that. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Bill Hader on Turned Out A Punk. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh man, thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan, so yeah, that's cool. That that melts my brain because uh, Barry, like Barry, is probably my favorite show, and I think I'm not alone in saying that. You probably hear that a lot, but I don't like. I, I, I once I had kids, I just had to turn. I loved violent film, culture, TV, everything. Kids showed up. I kind of turned my back on it, but yeah. That show is fucking incredible. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I this I have the same thing. I have three kids, and then it's just all you know. Yeah, it's all kid shows and things like that, and then you're just too tired to even 
you know, watch something. So when you finally do, I mean, I saw a movie on Netflix called Wheel Man. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, it's it's rad. And it was just one of those things where I just, like, I have memories of when I was a kid, my dad watching movies like that, which are just like total, just cool, like action movies that are kind of under the radar. And I was like, what is this? This is a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it, uh, what is it, a heist movie. Um, all I'll say, it's got uh, Frank Grillo in it. And he's a, the wheel man for a heist. And the whole movie is inside the car. Now oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it should be on Netflix. It's, it's rad. It's so good. I like, uh, did you ever see that movie Doberman? No, was like, I haven't. It's like uh, Monica Bellucci and Vincent, what was her husband's name? I can't, I'm blanking Vincent, on it. Uh, yeah, I know, Vincent Casal. Vincent Casal, yeah. And so it's them and they're, it's like a, apparently based on a true story I remember at the time reading, which I cannot believe for a second because it is just so over the top stylized, <laughs> but just an amazing heist movie. Like there's just something about a heist film. That's just, uh, I don't know, just you, you, like even heat, even well, something as indulgent as heat is incredible. Yeah. Well, that's one of the best. Uh, I mean, you talk about Barry. Every time we're in a sound mix on Barry, I'm like, can you make the gun, the gun sound more like heat during that heist scene and heat. And they're like, well, those aren't, you know why those sound that way? Cause they're not treated in the sound mix. Apparently they just, that's the way those bullets sounded in downtown LA. It was that awesome echoey sound. And I was like, that, that was phenomenal. And, and so basically what they were saying was like, yeah, you know, basically, you know, that's just being like, yeah, don't do your job. Like, <laughs> like what was recorded on the day was much better than what they would do in a sound mix, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they were like, um, we'd rather not do that. <laughs> Cause then like, <laughs> like you know you know what i'm saying it's like telling a i don't know i don't know what what the I, i've never you know recording albums or whatever what the difference is but yeah it's just basically that there it would just be like get out of the way like we got oh, it already no no it's it's a hundred percent like what it was like for all those first wave of punk bands like they come on the show and talk about going in the studio for the first time with all these people that were you know hot off recording prog records you know a year right, before right right <laughs> yeah yeah What's the guy from uh, Spot? Yeah, Spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that that <laughs> thing, maybe. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you had a wave. You had a wave of engineers that came in hot on the heels of that. That were like, no, here's how we're gonna do it, and and just found the sound. But liked it this way, and, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think it's the second damned record that they got produced by Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, he's in the documentary about them. That yeah, the machine gun etiquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's apparently like that was the reason that record I love the way that record sounds, yeah. but the reason that record sounds so fucked up is just because, you know, it's just like culture <laughs> clash in the studio. <laughs> I can't imagine that. How'd that even happen? I think uh, I guess the story was they were looking to get Sid Barrett and Oh, and you then know <laughs> they just yeah. called the wrong guy. Yeah, just settle for the drummer. It's like, yeah, the ex lead singer might be a hard get, guys, but, but you know Sid, who's available. Yeah, Sid's nuts. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, we can't pull Sid off the ceiling, but Nick is <laughs> down. I think it speaks to also the fact that you know. Really in the band, in spite of all the jokes, the drummer is the backbone. Like the drummer is really the yeah. one. Like, you know, you've been around enough bands to know yeah. that most of the time the drummer's the most solid person in that group. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I include fucked up in that too. Jonah, our drummer, is definitely the most solid person in the band by far. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm going, I'm racking my brain because immediately I go to something like Motley Crue or something. <laughs> of course, there's there's the exception that proves the rule with Motley <laughs> Crue. Like but... Green, you know, and you're like or blind faith and going like, well. Yeah. Okay, you're right. There's, there are some exceptions to this. Imagine if they're like, "Here's the guy. Here's Ginger Baker. He's like the the quiet one. Yeah, he's the he's the one that's going to hold it down. He's he's hold it down. But I think in certain situations at that no, time, totally true though. No, you're yeah. right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah. Like he recorded with Fela, right? Like so, like you know, imagine those shows. That was like probably a wild party. He was probably like, "Oh, this is this is my vibe." Yeah, he's like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> These guys are nuts. Well, I gotta start this off the way they all start off because Bill, this is gonna be amazing. Um, I already know, and I don't not I'm not to put pressure on this because even if you don't say anything more, just me punishing you will be uh, awesome. Yeah, so yeah. For, for me, maybe not for you, but I gotta start this off the way they all start off, which is Bill. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across oh, the genre? Oh yeah, well. John John Worcester's my friend, and I say he hooked this up because mm-hmm. I said, you know what I love? I love that podcast, and I was talking to him because he mentioned that um, <clears throat> the footage of uh, from the Bad Brain show where the those two women walk out of the show, but they walk through the band. Do you remember this from American Hardcore? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was talking about that, and I was laughing really hard in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so I was texting with him and he was like, Oh yeah, you should do that show. You know? And, um, and then, um, so, uh, but he told me to mention that I got into music from my dad. And the first thing I ever listened to the first record I ever listened to ever was apostrophe apostrophe by Frank Zappa. <laughs> so, so, so Frank Zappa was like what I thought music was. <laughs> and so I grew up listening, it was like Hot Rats and and obviously there was like the radio and stuff, but like in the house it was, you know, this instrumental Zappa stuff and, and, and proggy, you know, like Pink Floyd and things like that. But my dad hated like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and, and anything popular. Um, and so I got it. So I got into music weirdly like backwards where it was like, I didn't discover the Beatles really or the Rolling Stones. So I was in my early twenties, but I bring this up because the link between these two was my uncle, my dad's brother, um, my uncle John, when I was 13, um, uh, no, pardon me, 12, I was 12, uh, uh, he was talking about uh, punk music and he specifically um, Minor Threat, uh, their cover of, uh, of um, Stepping Stone. And I remember him ex- and, and him describing to me, it's so cool because it's, it, it's at a, you know, he, he was kind of a musician. He understood it, but he was, but I don't, I don't know the exact terms, but you know how it, it, it like, comes in slowly he was like it's like real tinny and and you're like what is this and then as the drums and everything come in it just starts to build and build and build and it's just it, it's 
amazing. And um, so I went, well, I should go find that. And I went to Starship Records and Tapes. Uh, my grandmother took me to Starship Records and Tapes, which was like in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was like a head shop slash record store. And so my poor grandmother was like around all these like black light posters, <laughs> like bongs and stuff. And I was like, went to the guy and was like, hey, do you have Minor Threat, the one with the monkeys cover on it or whatever? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, little boy. And uh, took me over. And then um, I said, oh, there's another thing. My, my uncle told me to get uh, two other bands, Something Brains and Something Kennedys. <laughs> He goes, you mean Bad Brains and Dead Kennedys? <laughs> it's like, yeah, which one, which of their records should I get? And so he gave me, so I walked out of there with um, that Minor Threat uh, record and um, Give Me Convenience or Give Me Death, the Dead Kennedys, mm -hmm. and then a live uh, Bad Brains record. They didn't have, you know, the, 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 the first record. Um, well, this would all be out of print at that point too, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's 90s. Yeah, like 90, I 91 right 92 91 92 so this is this is the summer right before like nevermind comes out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and i was of that era you know that generation that it was like you had friends who were into like hippie stuff or hair bands or like everything was like guns and roses or you know what i mean mm -hmm. and then that video came out and the next day everybody was dressed like kirk Cobain, you know <laughs> and um but I got the, um, it was the Youth Are Getting Restless live in the Amsterdam Bad Brains record, which has a lot of that stuff on it. It actually has a killer version of Pay to Come on it. Um, but, um, but anyway, so I just went, took those home and listened to them. And it is like the stereotypical thing. It was like, you're like, oh, where have you been all my life? <laughs> like it was the linking up. And I don't know if you could relate to this. And Fred Armisen and I talk about this a lot. It was the linking up of that and getting into like monster movies. Mm -hmm. it, it just like, it just happened like the same summer for me. Like I, it was like really getting into horror movies. Yeah. And, and then punk and those two things kind of, um, coalescing so then when you found you know when i discovered the misfits it was like whoa <laughs> you know um and they, so they, yeah yeah go ahead sorry. no i was just sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but they, they had the misses have it so dialed in for for like a preteen or teenage kid like yeah we're, we're like superhero wrestlers that love horror movies and make yeah. super catchy songs Super catchy songs and the song titles were the movies that I was finding. So I felt smart. Yeah. I was like, die, die, my die. That's a movie I just watched. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We're Eagles Dare. I just rented that movie. It's got Clint Eastwood. Like, wow. Like, I'm a genius. <laughs> what You had a really good video store then to be in, in Tulsa. I was just a, no, it was a blockbuster. I was just like. Before this, I was always a big movie nerd, like from a very young age, like both my parents were like, you know, people watch a lot of television in their, in their, how like people grew up on sitcoms and stuff. We didn't, I didn't really have that. My parents would just, my dad would come home from the video store every day with, with different movies. 
and then he he loved uh, they both just loved old movies hmm. um so every day I, pardon me every day sorry yeah 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 every wow. day it would be a new so our like time around the tv as a family it was mm-hmm. always like and it was a real mixed bag. I remember seeing like Raising Arizona and then the and then you know moving with Richard Pryor, you know. <laughs> it was like it was just kind of whatever was there and he would rent it. And um and then I would and then and then as I got around this age, uh 12, 13, he would maybe a little younger, he would wake me up and and uh my sisters and my mom would be asleep and he would, oh let's go into the the den and let's watch, you know, the wild bunch, you know, oh, that's mean? awesome. you know, yeah. or, um, you know, bridge on the river Kauai and, and, uh, and all those things, you know? So, it, so I think I was very much dialed into, to that. And then I think, and then I, and then I think when Nirvana and the kind of grunge scene came it all kind of like dovetailed into each other for me and then getting into kind of like thrashier, angrier stuff, like, I wanted to play the bass, so I was into bands where, like, you really the bass was very present, like DRI, <laughs> you know, and, like, yeah, and like, you know, uh, but and obviously the Minutemen. I mean, the Minutemen were the that, that was the big one. George Hurley, uh, Mike Watt, that that unit, that duo, that was kind of that was kind of the thing for me. He's like, you know, like, like still like the most entertaining bass player to watch. <laughs> like obviously, Bootsy Collins as well, but yeah, no, nah, man, he's well. I this will I when I shot it uh, too. I was in Toronto working on that movie, and I didn't, you know, I hung out with the cast, but I didn't really know that many people. And you know, the cast some had their families out, and they're all doing stuff. And so I was texting with Matt Stone from South Park, and I said, oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in Toronto for the next like three months. And I don't, you know, I don't really know many people out here. And, and he goes, uh, well, do you want to hang out with Rush? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm really good friends with, with Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. I was like, okay. So I went and I had dinner with them and I don't drink. It's not like I have a problem. I'm just, I've never been a big drinker, mm-hmm. but I was like, they were like, you know, we'll have martinis. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll have one of those. <laughs> and like within five minutes, I was like, the fucking guitar solo on Limelight is like fucking amazing. Like I was making <laughs> such a fool of myself. I was just like, but Getty Lee was like, hey, I just did this book on like uh, bass players. And I was like, oh yeah, is Mike Watt in there? <laughs> and he goes, actually he is. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I go, he is? And I go, yeah. And in my head, it was like, Bill, you need to chill the fuck out. <laughs> like, uh, dude, you are trashed. You're so nervous that you're sitting with Rush and you're getting trashed. So if you ever see the movie It Too, there's a scene where we're all in a hotel and Jessica Chastain is telling us uh, that she has seen us all die before. And I'm leaning on a bar. And the reason I'm leaning on a bar is I am legit i'm so hungover from <laughs> they got me completely trashed i still to this day don't think well now if they ever hear this they will know that i was like trying to play it off and they can just like they were fine and i just was hammered 
I was so drunk, but it was cool in my drunken state to talk to Getty Lee about his appreciation of Mike Watt. Yeah. He's like, I think he's amazing. He's like, I think he's phenomenal. He's like, he's like, you know, totally revolutionized a lot of things. And just his way of playing was, was so different and really interesting. And, and uh, yeah, it was cool. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like a real recognizes real kind of thing. The fact that he like gets it, you're like, Oh shit. Like, but uh, he used to play with teenage head back in the day, like in the early, early years of rush. So I guess it makes sense that he, you know, he had that ear for the underground back then. And I, or I guess, they, they yeah, came from it. I'll ask you this too. It was so fascinating to me just talking to him about the music scene and the amount of theaters in Toronto and, and just not knowing anything about that. And then being like, yeah, it's like the kind of folk area, like Gordon Lightfoot stuff was always like on this street, you know, or whatever, you know, and just like back in the seventies, like before they, be, you know, when they had their original drummer and stuff, it was like, it was just very heavy. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if that's like a Toronto thing or, or if that was just, rock at the time but it was just like all real heavy (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no i love that first record like i think that that first record's like you know like i guess it i don't know it must be this is a 70s hard rock thing you know at that time but there was something like weirdly let it was just like like the song was it working man or just that riff to it It was just it's like it's very metally i I don't know how to i'm i'm bad at explaining these things but it's just like yeah it was like black almost black sabbath ish (laughs) i don't know so i was really surprised when i listened to that first record before neil pert came in i was like whoa this is like this is cool yeah, like I think there's like Toronto at the time also was super backwoodsy. There's this great book called Treat Me Like Dirt about the early Toronto punk scene. They talk on they talk, you know, Rush comes up obviously playing with these bands back then. Um, and it just it feels like, you know, it, it, as much as it's kind of like, you know, you know, relatively speaking, a cosmopolitan kind of place like at that time, everything was shut on Sundays, you know, and like, yeah, it yeah, was, it was bit, Toronto the good and very, you know, like a you know, yeah. working class Protestant kind of town. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know, man. I love, I love that stuff. You know, I, you yeah. know, even working at SNL, talking to Laura Michaels and talking to Martin Short and people like that and just talking about the city. And I just am always made like that in Montreal too, just like the, the amount of theaters. I, yeah. I don't know. That just kind of boggles my mind just growing up in Oklahoma. And it was like, there was Kane's Ballroom <laughs> and there, you know, this place called the Icon. <laughs> and it was like, that was kind of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, you can have your own band and just kind of have like, I mean, it, is that kind of how it is? You just would have your residency in one theater or you can kind of bounce around or. We would like, we were playing, you know, when we were coming up, it was like dives, you know, we were playing, like we yeah, would play right, right. this place, Q bar, you know, and like a lot of restaurants. Cause you oh, know, finding. Okay. Finding all ages spaces in Toronto was always difficult. And like, yeah. And it's also, we've got a, like a fairly, you know, it's, it's broken down a little bit now and there's a a lot more DIY stuff, but it's a fairly music industry town here. Mm -hmm. And, and getting into some of these places was hard. Like, you know, a lot of venues would be like, well, you have to play our battle of the bands night. And then you got to do this (laughs) thing and do that thing. And so, yeah. You know, playing in a punk band, you're like, there's no way we're doing any of that. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we we literally played shows anywhere and everywhere. They would let us like, like garbage dumps. If there was a garbage dump that would have let us put on a show and it had power, we would have definitely done a show there. 
That's, I love, I mean, when I was in a sketch group before I got Saturday Night Live, we played a, in backyard, a backyard in Van Nuys. Yeah, like I, I read that. that like, was like that like the, the, the venues you guys would mainly do was backyard stuff? We just did a backyard in Van Nuys. It was Matt Offerman, uh, one of the guys in the group. It was his backyard. And we, like, we, you know, they uh, made like a screen with a bed sheet and a wooden frame so we could project uh, videos onto it. And, and, uh, and people just, you know, brought their own beer and food and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, it was like a huge party, but we just do sketch shows in this backyard. And then we finally, I think we played like the UCB theater in LA, like opened right. It opened basically the, the week that I found out I got Saturday night live. So oh, our last yeah. show as a group was at, at the new UCB theater. And then I moved to New York the next day. That's wild. You know, it's funny when you talked about that rush thing. I've only ever been to one Saturday Night Live party, and I'm the same way as you. I don't drink, but I got so nervous at that party that uh, I ended up drinking and got a little drunk. And uh, it, I, the whole time in my head, I was like, dial it back, Damien. Dial it back. <laughs> Come on, buddy. People don't need this. So, <laughs> I like that version of punishing. I think that's true. It's like, that's what I do when I meet, yeah, it's like, yeah, you sit with any of these guys and, you know, oh man, I remember just sitting with Martin Short and being like, can I talk to you about SCTV? (laughs) (laughs) And he's the nicest human being on the planet. You could talk to him about anything, but all of the SCTV people are, they're like, just, I've been very lucky. I get to, you know, meet a lot of them and, and they're just the nicest people in the world or, but like Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall came and guest wrote an SNL when I was there. And like, I was losing my mind. It was just it was that all week. I was just like, dude, be cool. <laughs> be cool. <laughs> be cool. Because Andy Samberg's really cool. Like he can be very cool. I'm like, oh, hey, like what? I think that's why like he's like, like he's just very chill, even though mm-hmm. I know like, oh, he's a big fan of that person. Where I'm like, you know, Steven Spielberg came and I'm just... Yeah, it's you, that term, punishing them. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, you know, um, how did you do the planes in 1941? You know, are those all models? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how did you get the waves and the model to, go, to like to do the? You know, and he's like, oh, it's Alka Seltzer. That's how we got the waves in that model because it's a it's this model thing in 1941, and there's these waves going in, and it and it, they break. And I'm like, how how did they do that? You know. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, it's Alka Seltzer," and I was like, "That's fucking awesome!" <laughs> and they're like, "Bill, you need to get out of his dressing room," you know. <laughs> uh, I like that, but that's to me is like, I don't know. There's like a different kind of fan, and like no diss on on you know Andy Sandberg or people like that that have that kind of cool aloofness to it, but like it's the same type of person that got into horror movies and punk rock and. You had to be inside it. You had to understand yeah, yeah. it from the inside, you know? I should say this. Andy, Andy, I just want to make sure. He's not aloof. He just knows how to, like, get that information, but he knows to get that as you become friendly with the person. He knows not to lead with that. He's like, hey, man, thank you for our coming, man. That's so awesome. You're here, and you're going to be in a laser cats. That's awesome, you know, where I'm, you know, immediately, you know, how do I see Firelight, your, your, your first film you made? Um, yeah, I know about it. You know, how'd you do the thing? And, you know, 
<laughs> Sugarland Express <laughs> with like he does a dolly shot on a car in Sugarland Express, and I had never figured out how they did it. And then he was like, "We hooked a dolly to the car," and I was like, "That's awesome!" It was the most obvious thing. <laughs> I was like, "That's rad!" All right, and they're like, "Bill, dude, chill the fuck out." <laughs> but there's just I don't know. There's something about that. Like I I will hang out with someone who's obsessed with anything because I could like you know even if it's fucking Pokemon cards like yeah. Like, it's like that kind of level of, I don't know, whatever mental defectiveness that I also seem to suffer from. Like, those are my my people. I relate to yeah, that. Yeah, in the same way. It's like, and also, I should also say, Steven Spielberg was really cool. He wasn't like, dude, get out of here. He was like, oh, it was really neat. We did it this way. Like, he was very nice. But there's other people I, you know, I won't mention that. And, and and no not nothing against them you know we're like dude like i'm about to go on live television can you not ask me about something i did 30 years ago <laughs> you know whereas he was like oh my god he was he would answer all your questions he was so sweet well because you know those guys were that way too right like yeah, they were nerds yeah, about this yeah, shit as well yeah yeah totally no i love your term punishing them like I love that term. I'm I'm using that for now because that's totally I, what it is. It is. It's it's kind of like, and it's it's funny because now that uh, Phoebe Bridgers put out that record, Punisher, and I imagine yeah, yeah. as as a female artist, it's probably like a you know it's it's a, it's a it's a you know a woman artist has to deal with things very differently than a, <clears throat> a male artist does, and I'm I'm not talking about that kind of punishment that she would endure, but like the type of punishment that we're talking about, where someone just wants to like just nerd the fuck out about yeah, something. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's, that's the reason I have this podcast. Cause there's no, no other man, way to I, do this. Yeah, totally. I love that record, by the way. My, 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 that's the crazy thing, man. I don't, I don't know how old your kids are, but my oldest is 11. And now it's like, she listens to that record, you know, like she, she loves it. You know, she's like, this is beautiful. And, you know, I, I want to get my kid into that then reads interviews with her online and then comes down and is like, dad, who's Elliot Smith? And I was like, how do you know about Elliot Smith? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, you Bridgers, that's her. You talk about Elliot Smith. I was like, oh yeah, I could put some of that on. It's, yeah, it's good. You know, or whatever, you know, it's, it's cool. It gets cool. I, in the I've got an 11 year old too. And every time he brings me a musician, I'm like, he's like, Hey dad, check out this guy. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't listen to this again. Like this, <laughs> this makes anal cunt sound tame by comparison. Like, where did you find this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's a nightmare. Oh, it's oh, like, well, I, like <laughs> well, YouTube is like, I, like I, I, you know, I, I've liked YouTube and all I saw on it, I just thought people put up videos of old concerts because that's all I ever searched for on YouTube. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is Devo the night they first played, you know, whatever, you know, yeah, no, and now now my kids are telling me like, oh no, dad, there's like a whole, like they're showing me videos on YouTube with these people that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a whole other reality than I knew. Yeah, no, it's it's really freaky, man. It's it's very freaky. <laughs> I, I used to honestly think like as I was listening to like a black metal record, you know, reading some like super weird fanzine and like watching, you know, like El Topo or something, <laughs> like there's nothing my kids can do that will ever freak me out. Like yeah. I am really at the last and then look at us. Yeah, no, it's, 
I'm telling you, man, it it happens so fast too. Where you're just like, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm an old asshole now. <laughs> I've done it across that line. I'm like, come on, that's shit. You know, and it's like, Dad. You know. You well, know. it's like what? Oh, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, it's like somebody's like pol- really nice, like polite, anxious guys. So there's going to be a lot of like, no, no, you're going to have to edit out all the like, no, you go. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do that a lot. Don't worry. I, I, I stumble onto people all the time and I'm like, hey, no, that, will, yeah. that won't survive the edit. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's, it's like funny. Yeah, I'll put on something for my kids. Like, you want to hear some real mind blowing shit? check out this and I'll put something on and I'll be like, Oh, this would be like my dad being like, you want to hear some real mind blowing shit and putting on like fog hat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks dad. Like sweet. I don't want, I don't want any more of your power violence. Please go yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so funny, man. And yeah, no, you, but you can't, you have to let them have their thing. You know, because you don't want to. You just, I just very gently be like, you know, what are you watching? Oh, I'm watching. You know, uh, uh, Fritz Lang's Doctor Mabuse, <laughs> which is four hours long <laughs> and made in, in a four hour long uh, German silent movie. Do you want to watch it with me? No. All right, <laughs> you're lost. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know how you get control of the TV. I'm always yeah, they're like, like, get out of here. They yeah. do like uh, Buster Keaton, though. They do like Buster Keaton movies, which is is cool. But again, you know, you got to also chill out and watch what they want to watch. And then sometimes there's something on there that I'm like, oh, this is really good. Or or weirdly, I'll see a performance and I'm like, oh, that she, that actor is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, who is that? You know? Mm-hmm. No, I've gotten into like a lot of shows that I probably like Young Justice, like all these TV shows that I, yeah. I probably yeah. wouldn't have watched. And I'm like, this yeah. is actually really well written. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's amazing how, how, how hot you keep it. Well, actually going back, what was your, what was the first concert you went to? Oh man. Like punk concert or just anything. Oh, first concert I went to was Hugh Lewis and the news. That's a pretty good concert for the first yeah, one. And then, uh, when they did heart of rock and roll, they say Tulsa in that song. And we were like, I just remember I thought it was going to explode because all night we're like, if they play harder rock and roll, they're going to say our city and my head's going to explode. And you could tell, like, I feel like everybody, because Tulsa is just everybody in the amphitheater was that way. So the minute harder rock and roll started, everybody was like, ah! you know, it was like, doo, 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 doo. and I was like, oh my God. And then when they said Tulsa in the song, the house lights went up. Like the house lights went on. I was like, Tulsa. And everybody went crazy. And I was maybe uh, eight years old. And I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever, coolest thing of all time. I like the fact that you thought there was a chance that they might not play Heart of Rock and Roll. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, you're like, <laughs> what if they don't play it? Yeah, nice and I look, I'm like, well, what else would they play? <laughs> it's like, I saw back at Lollapalooza, um, and the whole thing was I read in advance that he wasn't going to play Loser. And it was like, and then at the end, he pulled it out. He's like, I don't normally play this one, but here's loser. And the crowd went nuts. And I was just thinking, it must be a lot of deflated rooms on those yeah, tours. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't play the one song. You didn't play loser. How did that happen? I didn't forget that. This is insane. Yeah. 
it's like, yeah, I don't know if Pink Floyd could ever do a show after 1979 and not play Comfortably Numb. Like, yeah, it's like people would be like, what's going on, guys? <laughs> I saw David Bowie once and he did. He bought out like one of those like pianos that you play with your mouth, Uh huh. you know, and he and he started doing Space Oddity and the oh. crowd like erupts. And he's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just fucking with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ground control to now my next song is. Uh, yeah. oh. <laughs> the other move that bands do now is that they'll play all their whole old hits, but they'll do it as a medley. Just get them all the way oh, so you can fill the set with a new record. Oh, my God. I've been to those where it's really sad, like a festival, and it's like a band, and they're playing all the new stuff, and no one cares, and then they just go like, all right. They start playing the old stuff, and everybody goes ape shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you're in the band, I can totally get why people, you know, why you've, why bands get bummed out that people only want to hear their old stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of the fucking job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. That's true. It's kind of like, well, don't do this then, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like someone's paying you money to go up on stage and do something that most people just do for free as a hobby. Like you really kind of, the least you can do is play the one song they really want to hear. Yeah. I say this, I say this now, but we're not going to do it on the next tour. It's going to all do only new record <laughs> stuff. I do. Yeah. It's weird, man. I'm, I'm always trying to just like, I don't know what the comedy version of that. Like I never get, I get asked to do always like a lot of impressions and stuff, but I mean, it's not the same thing, obviously is, you know, oh, like you yeah. probably get it. Like I've been at comedy shows where people yell out, like I've been at, at I saw David Cross do stand up and people are yelling at Mr. Show sketches. Uh, like, that's hilarious. He's going to do a whole yeah. sketch as one person. Yeah, on how stage. does that work? Yeah. Like pre call in talk show. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, you. I always get yeah. People yell out like Stefan or something like that, and I'm just like, "What? Oh, thank you!" And then they stare at me, and I'm like, "Wait, do you want me to do it? I'm not gonna do it. We're at the grocery store. <laughs> like, I can't. It's like, please. Yeah, that no one would ever come up to me and ask me to yell in their face at a grocery store. So I yeah. definitely no mess. <laughs> Can you ask me about punk in this grocery store right now, please? Well. <laughs> It would have to be a very specialized grocery store for that to happen. But <laughs> is it for Stefan's based on uh, like Party Monster and on and that whole scene? Um, a little bit. Stefan is really, you know, John Mulaney. That's the guy that you know. He he kind of it was an email he got from a guy. Um, yeah, that was in that scene, and the guy was like, you sh- "It was an email that was like, come to this club. It has everything." And one of the r- things in the email was um, the club had rooms full of broken glass. Um, I think was in the email, awesome. and we were like, "What?" And then I had a a, a, a barista at Joe's Coffee in New York um, that I would just kind of talk to and draw out and, you know, and, and he kind of had that. And, and, and John was doing his thing in a similar kind of voice. So it was like, we, it just had a big Venn diagram for a character. And Have you that, ever seen that party monster documentary? No, I've only, wait, 
I've seen he's out, right? That guy is. I, I think he passed out. away recently. I think he died during COVID. Oh, really? Oh no. Oh wow. I think it might uh, be a couple of weeks ago. Oh wow. Oh wow. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, really recently. Yeah, like so that's wow. yeah, no, I will definitely uh double check. Oh wow. I I just I but yeah, that's such a fascinating really dark story. Mm-hmm. With the, they rolled a guy up in a a rug and all this stuff and beat him with a hammer and yeah, I mean that's the other thing I love is true crime, so it's like that's a whole other thing where during this pandemic the amount of True, true crime uh, text threads with friends being like, have you seen this? You know, guys, you got to watch this episode of this, <laughs> you know? And then I watch it and like, I have terrible anxiety and I'm like, why am I watching this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm anxious. I was yeah. fine before I turned this on. <laughs> yeah, my my wife's always like, "You got to watch." Like she's super into true crime stuff, and I like, I'm like, "This will give me nightmares. I'm gonna have nightmares now." Yeah, no, I get that way too. So now it's like I try to find a happy medium of like cult documentaries. There's mm-hmm. one called The Source Family that's pretty funny. And oh, about the is that the the Source? They were like um like music stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah, records. yeah. They put out records. Yeah, like like. Billy Corgan's in the documentary talking about how great the records are, but they had like a, they had a health food store that um, is in the the movie Annie Hall when they're at like a, like a health food place in Annie Hall and uh, in another movie called Alex in Wonderland with, with a, a Paul Mazursky movie. But um, they, yeah, it was like this health food place. And then it was like a sex cult. But the ending of that movie is truly one of the most bizarre things. I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but the, the end of that story is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in a documentary. <laughs> oh, wow. I got it. Yeah. I'll yeah you got to check that. it out. Source family. I'm just like watching it going like, this is so strange. And then it came into the end and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and my friend who had seen it, he's like, have you gotten to the end yet? Have you gotten to the end yet? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> he's like, just text me when you get to the end. <laughs> no it definitely is uh i don't know there's just something about those cults like especially the 70s ones that have those weird music ties like you know the process church no no what's that it's the process if you look at the first parliament funkadelic record there's all this stuff about the process church in it and apparently to this day if you ask george clinton about it he just shuts down the conversation immediately (laughs) like he's like i don't want to talk about this but they were uh a british (laughs) they they believe that Jesus and Satan were one and the same, like the lamb and the goat were one. And, uh-huh. and that it was like this guy who was, you know, very, you know, handsome, like super blonde hair, like a blonde beard. And he had these huge Doberman dogs, I believe that would walk around the compound with them. And they had, they had an office in Toronto. They had obviously, I think one in Detroit and they had like a few spread it around America and then, you know, it just disappears. But my dad drew a cartoon of the, the leader of this cult and they threatened to kill him. And that's why what? he moved to Canada. What? <laughs> well, I don't think they were like threatening to kill him, but they were, <laughs> they were out there looking for him apparently. Wow. And it has a Manson tie too. Like some guy that was involved in the process church was somehow also involved in the Manson family. And like, this is another one that needs a documentary because how, clearly, yeah. how is that not a documentary? That's like, that is rife for that kind of stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, all that stuff, uh, uh, the Jim Jones stuff, mm. uh, you know, all that, 
I mean, I'm just, it's, it's dark and everything, but it's, I find it really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's very, I don't know, I find it very analogous for what's people's like, you know, uh, cult like views of political, like, you know, despots now, like all over the world. Really? Like it, it's very similar kind of like, like vibes. Yeah. It's like people on their own curated reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not, they're not in, in their own world. They're in their own little weird world right now. And it's really scary, man. Yeah. I think that's why you kind of watch those things. It's not, it, it, you know, it's almost so you can, um, you can, uh, for me as somebody who really does, you know, people go like, Oh, you're anxious or whatever, but you're like, Oh no, I actually suffer from like an anxiety disorder. Uh, like, you know, uh, I sometimes I feel like I watch those things so I can identify the people to stay away from. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. like, oh, okay. That's a personality type. All right. Yeah. Check. Okay. When it's too good to be true, it's because the person's a murderer. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't, hey, don't go to a church with a guy who says he can float. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Got it. I, I was watching the, the Nexium one recently. Oh, yeah. And that, the head of that cult, I'm like, I think, I think I'd be immune to this cult. Like, there's no way I'd be swayed into believing this dude, the thing he's selling. If I had to sit and watch a dude play volleyball for like four hours, like, I'm out. How much? I just don't understand. He should have just not had a cult and just sold his own line of volleyball wear and he would have been fine. Like, can you imagine walking into a department store with a little Rainier uh, mannequin with all with the long hair and all that volleyball gear on? <laughs> he would make so much more money than like being in that awful cult where you yeah. have all those people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the other thing is like, you laugh at it. It's entertainment. And then you're like, Oh shit. It's real. Oh, no, he's super crazy and awful. And I mean, that's the weird thing about it is you just go, I can't believe this is happening. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, back, back yeah. to more pleasant stuff. We don't have to talk about all this. Oh no, stuff. no, this is my whole life. By the way, this is like, I get, I think because of the pandemic, so many of these conversations end up this way. Yeah. Like anyway, so blah blah blah, and yeah, everything's really bad. Anyway, it's like a '90s zine now. Everything's like like film (laughs) thread or something. Yeah, exactly. Like anyway, I shouldn't go to bed right now, but I'm going to. (laughs) (laughs) Did you um like going back to to you know getting into stuff? Did you play in a band? You didn't mention playing bass. No, yeah, I played bass, and then I had a friend named Clint who played drums, and but not really. I had a bass that I would play around on and I would just I would try to play along with songs in my room. Um, but I was, I will say like the pull of, of movies and writing stuff was, was greater than, than that, you know? And so it kind of gathered dust in my room. And then it really wasn't until I was doing SNL and Fred Armisen wrote uh, that punk band sketch at the wedding um, with Dave Grohl in it. And um and he was like, well, it's a, it's punk. I'm sure you could play along with it. And then I think Fred was just like, wow, Bill, you're playing along that Bill, you're good. You know, he was so sweet about it. And he's like, you're really good. You know? And so then by, when we did documentary now, uh, we did two band, uh, yeah, blue jean committee and test pattern and I'm playing in, in all those. Um, so I'm, but I'm very much like the, you know, whatever Paul Simon on, like he has to show me what to do. And 
you but know. you look good doing it just like Paul, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm I do not like as cool as Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually, you know, got way better. But uh, there is all those stories on that first record where it was all like written out right on the neck of his bass or whatever. Like you didn't know. Yeah, but, no, but definitely it seems like the punk bass player position was fairly nebulous in the beginning as well. Like it's like, yes. oh, do you look good like like Sid or do you look good like yeah, Paul? Just look cool. You know, yeah, and it wasn't. A, I think that's why Mike Watt. I mean, going back to that, that's why he was so amazing because it was like, whoa, this is something else. You know, just listening to a lot of um, punk, and then you, you know, listen to your first Miniman record, you just go, wait a minute, it, this like the bass is like really, you know, driving it. You know, in a way that the other stuff isn't. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah, same even the Bad Brains too. Like it's oh, like. Yeah. You know, like there's just something about when punk came back to not back to America, but like when it was like, you know, that sort of second wave of bands in America, it was all like, okay, well, we're also really good players. Like most of those SST bands, like all those people could play. Yeah. I mean, Bad Brains. I mean, I don't, I mean, that's kind of the, the one. I mean, that, I mean, that's the one I think I keep going back to. And that's the one I feel like everyone pretty much agrees on <laughs> you know anytime I talk to anybody from the era of punk that I was really into which is the kind of you know late 70s early 80s uh you know the, the heyday you know um pretty you know everyone's like well bad brains you know it just yeah. seems like it's even there's no there's no question they're like an uncoverable band, right? Like they're just like to this day, like no, anytime you hear someone trying to do a bad brains cover, it's like, yeah, yeah. good luck with no, that. Good luck with that. I mean, it really is like just that. I had that VHS tape of bad brains at CBGB's in 82 and the opening of that, where they start with big takeover. Like that is like, if you could just solidify like what punk rock is, it's like that. Yeah. No, hundred percent. It starts in that, those punks get up on the stage and they start slam dancing that one giant dude with a mohawk and he weighs like 400 pounds and he has like a, you know, uh, like a, he, 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 just, he just looks so scary and, and they're just so chill and HR is like, you know, fully, you know, in it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. and it, and, you know, uh, and it's, I mean, it's it, it gives me chills just thinking about it. I mean, I, I watch that all the time. That was one of those things, like, when YouTube came out, I'm like, this is why YouTube exists, because I, I lost this VHS, and now the whole thing's on YouTube, and I can watch it anytime I want, and it makes me really happy. Yeah, no, Bad Brains 82 and that Bad Brains 79 when they're all in the suits yeah. are, like, those are my favorite Amazing. videos. On Amazing. They're just so cool. Yeah. And then they didn't really, I'm like, how do you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, and <laughs> how did you know how fucking cool that is? Like, I don't, cause that documentary, the, the more recent one that came out, they're just, you know, they're just like, they're just really cool guys, you know? And you're like, do you realize how innovative that was? Or, you know what I mean? Like, it was just funny to me that they were like trying to do something else. And then they heard the dead boys and other things. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll do that. And then just we're the best thing ever. Yeah. No, that's why like when I show my 11 year old, those videos on YouTube and he wants to show me Aaron Paul videos, I'm like, dude, look at this guy. This is no, cool. no, 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 we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, they, they are, 
you know, like you're saying, like the band that everyone agrees on because they're they're they were so good. Like like they changed music forever. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I because it's funny, like when you actually go through it, because I I should say, you know, I was into punk and, and I had like the consistent bands like Minutemen and um and Bad Brains and and things like that, but then you kind of get into other music and, you know, I like all kinds of music and, um, uh, but it wasn't when I got back on, when I got on SNL and was hanging out with Fred and he was talking about punk that I really took more of a deep dive into it and, and, uh, and, you know, started just discovering other things like, you know, like, uh, like the saints and, and UK subs and, you know, like just stuff like that, the ruts mm-hmm. and things like that, that, uh, the damned, I mean, Fred's such a massive fan of the, the damned and, and, um, and so really going down like the rabbit hole of that. And then when we shot the test pattern documentary, now I had Fred and John there and the great Hal Wilner, uh, there was there as well. And so just picking their, brains about music so um i'm i'm definitely one of those people i'm always on the hunt for a new scene and you know i mean john just this week turned me on to the saints he's like you know there's a documentary of them on youtube i was like Are you f- what you know <laughs> and, and and so you know getting to watch that and how they broke up and then that's what i love about youtube is then off to the side it's like you know Stiff little fingers, audio documentary. It's like what, you yeah. know? And then, then it's like now I'm on the Undertones documentary. I'm like, oh my god, hosted by John Peel. Oh my god, this is awesome. But when you listen to all that, and so you start, you take the deep dive. For me, at least, which I'm, you know, this is all stuff. You know, none of it's news to you. You know, obviously, but like you, you go through it, and then when you hit Bad Brains, it's just like fuck, I can't imagine being a punk fan, fan at that time. Yeah. And then going, like, what is this? You know? Like, it, uh, it just blows the roof off the place. When I first moved to L.A., I mean, I remember being at the, the Bright Spot diner, and I was outside with a friend talking, and there's this guy walking around in a white suit. And I go, God, that looks like HR from the Bad Brands. And it was. <laughs> And it was just like, holy shit, is he home? Like, what is going on? You know, and it yep. was, and yep. he just was just bumming around Silver Lake. And I was like, whoa. But that was, you know, a while back. Well, there's even like, yeah, there's that band Terror that uh, yeah. they, they played. I think they were playing even in D.C. one time, actually, weirdly. But it might have been L.A., but there was a, a guy out front uh, with a guitar uh, like, you know, just on the street hanging out and they're like, holy shit, that's HR. And they went up wow. and they're like, yo, if you want to come to the show tonight, like the door's open, like you're a legend, like we wouldn't be doing this wow. without you, please know. And they, anyway, he, they came back and he was hanging out on the side of the stage. And when they did their intro, he went out with the acoustic guitar and like rocked out with them. Like it was the 82 <laughs> video or something. And, and then just disappeared and just bolted. And it wow. was, uh, yeah, it's like, he, he just like, you know, like, like we're, you know, we're talking about like one of the all time greatest front people in music to ever pick up ever, a microphone. Ever, ever. Yeah. 
I don't care. Like, I'm so jealous when I hear those stories of like Henry Rollins and HR literally jumping on him and just yeah. screaming at him, going like, ah! <laughs> you know, you just would be like, that's amazing, you know? And, and they were, you know, one of the bands that got me into it, you know, when mm-hmm. I was, yeah, 12, you know, like that, that live record. It was just like, wow, you know, this is so amazing. So who were the local bands in Tulsa? Like, were there, was there like much of a local scene at that point? Well, there was, but I did not know about it. Mm. Um, there was one, in the, especially in the 80s, and there's actually yeah. a documentary about it. Um, Oil, Oil City Confidential, is that what it's called? Oil City Punk Doc. I just watched it. Um, and, and I got to be honest, I did, Oil City Confidential. I got no, 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 no. That's a Julian Temple one. What am I talking about? Wait, Tulsa one. That's the that's the one about the the pub rock band. Well, I got to see that too. I love Phil, um, Phil from the Fury is one of my favorite music documentaries ever. Yeah, I just watched his one that he did on um, uh, Shane McGowan. Oh, is it good? Uh, like I, I haven't seen that. I wasn't as right? much a fan of the Strummer one. Yeah, it it's it it's it's okay. Um, I mean. Okay, Oil Capital Underground. Oil Capital Underground. Okay, I'm writing okay, that down. Okay, so that's on Amazon Prime, and it's about the – so there's a documentary, Oil, Oil Capital Underground, and it's about uh, the Tulsa punk scene. And I had no clue that was going on, but it's, some of it is before, I mean, my time, you know, uh, because, I mean, this was – I mean, it really is, it like starts in the late seventies and, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, uh, Kane's ballroom is famous because one of the few places that the sex pistols played when they came to America and there's a giant hole in the wall that's there to this day, um, where Sid Vicious smashed his guitar into the his bass into the wall. So growing up, you would go see, you know, I remember seeing like, they might be giants at Kane's ballroom or something. And there was this giant hole in the wall with this like, little plaque next to it going Sid Vicious smashed his bass into here and it was like whoa um but I would go see you know bands like you know I would go see Beck or whoever you know in like the 90s uh uh at Kane's Ballroom but and I think I I think I saw Frank Black there and um you know people like that but I mean the but the that documentary I watched that and I go how did I not know this was going on it was all these like you know, it was really cool bands. I mean, Fred and I talk about wanting to do a documentary now about punk documentaries, how all those documentaries, they all look like they're being, the, the people being interviewed are all in the exact same apartment. It's like their LPs are behind them. And there's like a lot of um, horror stuff, or like yes. stuffed animals or like, um, you know, things like that. We know that because that's like um, our apartments. <laughs> <laughs> So, but, you know, scene documentaries are just like really taking off. It seems like there's one on the Chicago scene, you know, there's, yeah. and that one's kind of cool. Um, I love it, you know, when you, you hear about, because uh, my dad grew up in Chicago and he had like, he, had, you know, had a bunch of brothers. He had like six, six or seven brothers. And, um, and, uh, Clearly, uh, super close. Uh, I'm like, wait, is there six or seven of them? I don't remember. Um, but uh, but they um, 
but one was into punk, but then, you know, the other one, I remember him saying like, oh yeah, your uncle John's a Devo. <laughs> well, that was, was the insult, like, right? Yeah, that was the insult. That was like, yeah, yeah your uncle John's a Devo. <laughs> And I was like, what a weird insult. I'd be like, you think? Really? You think I could be a Devo? Wow, thanks. I would be so like, well, thank you. Um, but but uh but yeah, man, how I, I like those steam documentaries. The, the Chicago one's cool. It's got a bunch of like, you know, about like naked Reagan and you know, Steve Albini's in it, of course. Well, I think that's the uh like you're saying, like there's all these scenes, like it was really an explosion like it's like one of the one of the times in in music like you know you see it a bit with you know you definitely see it a lot sorry with the garage rock explosion after the rolling stuff of the british invasion stuff happens yeah where you add like a bunch of youth being told like music made by kids is fucking awesome go and do it yeah Yeah. I, i think we're in it now too yeah again you know like it's obviously different now, but I, th- I feel like it's the same sort of wave where you have like a bunch of young kids just empowered to make music by the technology or, you know. Yeah, like- it's the same with movies, too. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you just see now you don't have like an excuse. Yeah. You have to be yeah. like, ah, I just don't have the money to do the thing. It's like, no, nah, if you have a phone, you can make stuff now. And, you know, and and that's what's so cool. You know, again, like you watch your kids make stuff and you're like, whoa your video has like like sound and and it's and you know weird transitions and all this stuff like this is awesome you know and i was like oh i did an iMovie on my ipad i'm like oh my god if i wanted to do that it would have cost like three thousand (laughs) dollars we had to go you know, we had to go on a virtual tour tour for my eldest because he's he's going to like middle school next year tonight, mm-hmm. and I'm watching the video that one of the students made, and I'm like, oh my god, I wish I could make a video that looked this good myself. How did you do this? Yeah, yeah this, this guy is amazing. And then you're going, well, geez, what's the, what are they going to be like? You know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, what what kind of filmmakers, musicians who grew up, you know, doing this stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting. I think, I think it's cool. Um, but, but yeah, man, I, 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 I wasn't to go back to your band question. I was never in a, a, a band, like a band band, but the closest I ever got was, was doing those things with Fred. And we actually got to play like on TV shows, like Seth Meyers show. And then we actually played like some, you know, uh, festivals. Yeah. And it was awesome. I, I'm very, I, I guess, so I got to like, you know, live a little fantasy of, you know, you know, getting to play music out, you know, in front of an audience. It's like a, man, it's amazing. It's so cool. You guys have a cool job. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's cool. You know? Wait, do you ever have a thing at punk shows? I'm always curious about this. Cause it is like so intense, especially your guys' stuff is like amazing. And it's so but intense, especially, you know, you on stage and everything. Have you ever gone out and, and um, are you assessing what, what the crowd's like and is there any danger or hostility and is that affecting anything? Are you like, 
regulating it and stuff while you're performing. I always think about that with people like yourself or Keith Morris or Henry Rollins or any of those guys who just seem to be, yeah, you guys just go off. And yeah, it's I like think amazing. I, I, well, I, I know I get, well, th- first of all, thank you. It's very flattering to hear you say that. And I think, but I think, um, I, I think that's part of the job, right. To go out there and you're kind of, as much as you're there to perform, you're also there to kind of keep an eye on what's happening and not that you see everything and shit can definitely happen that you don't see. Um, but yeah, you're like trying to make sure that people aren't being fucking assholes and yeah, you know, I, and sometimes I, I fucked up. I got beaten up really bad in the middle of our show in Liverpool one time. Wow. Really? And actually, while the flaming lips were playing on the main stage, we were on the oh, uh, really? second stage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, this group of dudes were, were harassing this couple and I could see them. And so I, I hopped off the stage and I went over because I like, you know, a bunch of people in the crowd were kind of like trying to get these guys to leave this couple alone. And, uh, you know, I'm like, get the fuck out. We're not playing for you. And so we kind of like do this human wall. And we're like trying to force these guys out. And one of them just runs and punches this guy and the girl in the face, like just like talks him. And I don't know, I don't know shit about fighting, like yeah. Uh, but I do watch a lot of pro wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> so first, first thing I do is run and hit a spear on him. Like I just run full yeah. speed and just spear him into the barricade. And so he goes down on the ground. So I'm on top of him, and another guy kicks me. And so I start trying to put him into uh, like a hurt angle style ankle lock from. Mm-hmm wrestling and since i i know some wrestlers now and they're like yeah that's not like a real thing that works <laughs> like, like yeah yeah abort. and then but so by that point i'm trying to get them in this move as i'm sitting on top of this other dude all their friends come in and it's just like it's only uh about a minute or two but it's a good solid minute or two of people trying to stomp on my head so i've covered oh up my god and they're so they're not able to ever land like a clean blow, but they're like hitting my jaw. Like I've got boots on my face. And then finally it gets broken up in security. Like all the people like grab these guys and it's it's done. And I've come up, I'm covered in blood. My band comes over and I'm like, okay, let's finish the fucking set. They're like, <laughs> I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm like, let's finish the fucking set. And so we finished the set and we had also, for some reason, expanded to, for this tour, a nine piece lineup where we had uh. these three other young kids that had this other band that were like singing backups and playing keyboards. Like, but I come back on stage covered in blood and they're, crying, <laughs> they're sobbing, trying to sing backups for the rest of the set. And then uh, I had a concussion for the rest of the tour. My head was ringing for the rest of the oh, tour. Oh, no. It was fucking brutal. Dude. <laughs> it was so bad. I'm sorry, man. That's so funny. No, it's okay. I'm like far enough away from it now that I'm like, I a thousand percent see every humorous moment in it. But at the time, it was like, because it was, I had never expected that to happen. Because, like you're saying, like you know, people do this shit all the time, and like you know, like I'm a superhero on the stage, and like what's going to happen to me? And then all of a sudden, it was like, no, I am, I am fucking mortal. Yeah, man. But that's why I'm always curious about those shows. Like when I watch like Decline of Western Civilization or something, I'm like, how do they know? Like, do you ever just in the middle of it, you know, you're doing a song and just going like, all right, that guy's crazy. So I'm not going to go over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that definitely happens. You know, there's been, mo- every, I think every show I try and just like finish the show by walking out into the crowd and saying hi to people. 
Mm-hmm. And one time we played, we were playing Fuji Rock in Japan. And while I was like passing the mic to people in the crowd, people were sticking me with cigarettes. Like, oh. I don't know if it was deliberate, but I was getting jabbed with cigarettes. So that night I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go in the crowd. I'm just going to walk backstage. You know I'm going to hang out back here. Thanks. Yeah. And actually, one night we played with the Arcade Fire on the last night of the German tour. A woman in the front row was screaming, make them stop. Oh, God, make them stop. And uh, no one clapped after any songs. And I said, you know what? Probably just go straight backstage tonight. Oh, we would have that at Saturday Night Live. Really? Yeah, where you would do a sketch and it would be like, no one likes this. We did a sketch. Me and and Will Forte did a sketch uh, with Josh Brolin that... um, it was called Fart Face. Um, you now I, I know a sketch called Fart Face. It's crazy that it didn't play well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we were three guys in a uh, like old grizzled guys in a like businessmen. Because I think Will and I always found that funny. Those kind of characters funny. I always found it funny because it was very kids in the hall type characters. They're always these kind of like very uptight business guys, and. Uh, they were called Jerry and Carl. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Carl. And it was all very straight, and uh, and um, and it was about a biz- It was about business meetings or whatever. And then uh, J- uh, Josh Brolin comes in, and his name was Jim Deaver, mm-hmm. and he was also a businessman. And then uh, we said, uh, "Word on the street is is uh, you're a fart face," and it's like. Uh, I'm not a fart face. I don't know who told you that. Um, and it was like, the joke was how stupid and asinine it was, but they were taking it very seriously. And then the sketch heightens to the point where Josh Brolin starts crying. And then we threaten to tell everybody that he cried in our office and he kills himself. So that was, that was the sketch. Oh <laughs> we did it at dress and it, it was like we were doing a pinter play. Like I could hear my footsteps on the ground. Like no one was making a sound while we were doing it. Like people hated it the minute it started. People were like, fuck you, fuck this sketch. Like, and also it was the most watched episode in SNL history up to that point because Sarah Palin was on the show. Mm. So we do it at dress and we go, well, that's over with. We're never going to do that. You know, we tried and we come in and not only is it in the show, but Lauren Michaels moved it up. And we were like, why? And he just found it really funny about how stupid it was, but how committed everybody was. Cause it gets really like dire. Like we're all screaming at each other. And um, it sounds like super funny. Like it, it, it sounds like it'd be an amazing audio thing. Cause it's so subtle. It's very strange. It's not great. Um, but my favorite part of this is we go, here are my three favorite things. Was Lauren Michaels gives notes and his note was, I saw a boom shadow and fart face, <laughs> which made us all laugh really hard. Cause it was just like, this is so dumb that you're treating it with such respect uh, to say like, ah, oh, we had a boom shadow and fart face. And it's like, you can have a billion boom shadows and fart face. It doesn't matter. It's a shitty sketch. <laughs> and, um, and then when we went out there, the, uh, so we're watching, we're dressed as these characters and we're watching as Sarah Palin and Amy Poehler rap on update and the audience is losing their minds. They're going crazy. And then we're up. 
And it was like the end of the wild bunch. It was like, we're all about to die. <laughs> it was just like, and, and we got there and the audience is like laughing. Can you believe that Sarah Palin was just rapping and everything. And Josh Brolin looked up at the audience and he looked at me and Forte and he goes, well, fellas, let's shut these fuckers up. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, <laughs> like, here we go. And it played somehow worse on air. Like the audience was actually making noises like, no, you know, like people hated it. And then um, one of the reviews that someone sent me was, I think in the New York Times or something, they said, there was a sketch called Fart Face. It seemed that Bill, ha Bill Hader and Will Forte had one sketch planned and then they looked in the garbage and saw a sketch called Fart Face and they said, oh, no, wait, let's do this one instead. <laughs> Uh, you had to go on after Heart of Rock and Roll too in Tulsa. Yes, yes, it was like it was like after Heart of Rock and Roll. If you came out and you were like, "If I had time in a bottle," <laughs> people would be like, "Boo!" <laughs> like, is there like there must be like a you know because like sometimes playing a show when you know the audience hates you, there's almost like a, a feel good energy that kind of comes over you. Was it the same sort of thing when you know the, uh, the crowd's hating it? You know what? I was so anxious at SNL that I just was like a big people please. I just wanted everybody to like everything I did, so I would kind of overthink it and you know uh, the kind of crazier jokes or stuff. I would be like, ah, maybe we don't do that, or maybe we do this. Like, what's going to get a laugh? And you know, I was just so. Uh, overthought it too much and then the longer I was there I kind of calmed down a bit and then um by the end I mean Fred Armisen I mean it's all on YouTube I mean Fred Armisen and I were would fuck around constantly yeah. um because it was our last season and we were just like you know it was like senior year finals like you just know you're almost off the show there's one sketch called song for daddy that 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 went to dress that one was Justin Bieber was the host. And that's when the, uh, a, a piece of uh, a wall almost fell on him in the middle mm -hmm. of that sketch. And it was the idea of the sketch was I was an old country singer. Um, and I'm going to sing a song about my daddy and the, uh, you know, this song, my daddy he loved this song. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he would have loved this. And, and, um, so I want to sing it to you right now. And, um, I'm like, can you give me my new guitar? And they bring out like a three neck guitar. <laughs> and then the joke of the sketch was as I'm rapping about what the song's about, you see that we're all getting these really weird instruments. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what is this song going to be? And then the sketch ended. So you never hear the song. Um, and then it's revealed midway through that we're on the Steve Harvey show. That was the other thing. Um, and, uh, so that was a sketch when I went out, the entire crowd was filled with Justin Bieber fans. It was all like 13 year old to 18 year old girls. True believers. True believers, yes. And I went out and it was like, all right, well, this is gonna die. <laughs> so you just kind of took your time. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> like, yeah, it's a Josh Brolin thing. Well, let's shut these fuckers up, you know? And uh, we did very well. <laughs> <laughs> that is and, awesome. Uh, yeah, that one went terrible. That was bad. And then what was the 
um, there's a bunch of them, but yeah, Fred, well, you know, the California, oh, you'll, this is interesting. The Californians, the voices that we initially did on that sketch, at least the voice I'm doing was me and Fred would try to do like the Minutemen. We would try to do San Pedro guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'd walk around <laughs> going, Hey man, I'm from San Pedro, you know? And it was like, yeah, I'm from San Yeah, dude. I was just down in San Pedro, man. And like, and then we would try to do, you know, the Keith Morris, like Hermosa beach. And, you know, we would try to do that stuff. And then, um, and then it kind of, so I'm, I'm doing a, a weird version, like a more heightened version of like the San Pedro guy from like a, the Minutemen documentary and that sketch. And then he's, he, the reason I laughed the first time we did that sketch is because he's doing, he was doing the more San Pedro thing, but then, when we actually did the sketch, he started doing a completely different voice and to make that threw me off. And I started laughing <laughs> when he went, wait, what are you, I just like, what, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, it still makes me laugh. I, I think like, you know, dealing with anxiety, like going out on stage, doing what I do and fucked up. I can't, I can't see myself doing something where I'd have to remember a script because I just have to get lost in the moment. Yeah. Like, what's it like where you're dealing with that anxiety, but you're also like fucking having to stay on script and stay in a fucking character? Yeah, no. I, well, I, you know what it is? Um, we are reading cue cards, which is great, but I'm also so terrified because I'm not very good at like reading like that. You know, I Same. read a lot. <laughs> I read a lot, but it's like I read for information and stories. But as far as like remembering words and spelling and grammar, I'm, it just it just goes in one ear and out the other. I just I just cannot remember. That's the most embarrassing thing on Barry is that I'm at the whiteboard at, in, in the writers' room, like writing out our outlines and ideas. And you know, you, when you're, me and Alec Berg are kind of he's on one end of the room and I'm on the other end of the room. But I I'm the board guy you know, in the writer's room. So I'm like writing out everything and it's really embarrassing where I'll write something. Someone be like, Bill, that's not how you spell, um, heal, <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 I fucking hate Twitter for that reason. Like, yeah. So much. like Bill, um, what did you just write? And it's like, um, shit, hold on. Wait, is that not how you spell? Yeah. How do you spell last? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, um, but no, when you're out there and you're really anxious, um, it's hard. It's just a thing you, you know, I wish, I, I mean, that's what's so great. You know, it makes a lot of sense to me, you know, yourself and seeing guys like, you know, you or, or Henry Rollins or these guys where it's like, oh no, it's like really pent up, um, you know, anxiety or, or nervousness and being able to lose yourself in that kind of thing is just, amazing it must be really cathartic whereas like when i'm uh doing a sketch or something it's you you have to you know be very highly highly focused yeah um but you also it's this weird thing is like the more you do it and the more you kind of become comfortable with your anxiety and and try to find a way to use it in a way um, in that cliched kind of acting term, but it's true. It's like, if you go, okay, I'm anxious. Well, then I'll, I'll kind of keep the, you know, a lot of the characters will be like keyed up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you're laughing so much during Stefan and stuff, but it's also, 
I'm so anxious. And when I get really anxious, I get really giggly, you know? Um, and a lot of that is anxiety because I know John's made a change to the script or, uh, I know there's like that character became such a big deal that there was a lot of pressure for by the end, every time you go out, it's like, Oh, it has to be a grand slam, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I would always feel a lot of pressure on me when I would go out there towards the end. I was always like, can we not do that like ever again? Cause I'm going to throw up if I have to do it again, <laughs> you know? Um, and um, so, you know, yeah, it is, it is, and it's weird. It's only in live. It's only on live, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, that that's the only time it happens for me on a set. I'm way more relaxed and, and uh, running, like running Barry, like writing, you know, directing and, and acting in Barry is way less um, nerve wracking than performing on Saturday Night Live for me. Well, like, and I got to see that, you know, you, you, I read about the short film that you did that you never put out. Um, was it a comedy or is it like Barry? Like, yeah. Were you doing... Yeah. It was, uh, it was like a, um, it was a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I came up, you know, that's a funny thing. And it's a good thing that like, you know, I, I was in, um, like from the age of 10, I would say, I was like, I want to be a filmmaker. Like, I, that's what I want to do. Like, I noticed the people who direct stuff at the end of the movie, like the names of the, at the end of the credits, those are the people and I'm starting to understand their styles. And I got really into movies for that reason. Um, so I wanted to make stuff and those were my heroes. And then um, this happens, um, <clears throat> you, you know, you lose your confidence when you're in your twenties, you know, and you have, whether it's a teacher or peers or whatever going, Oh, this is terrible. And if you're like insecure and don't have a lot of confidence and you're anxious all the time, you're like, well, I guess you're right. You know? And so then you try to fight through it you try to make something, but when you're making it, you're so hard on it um, because you're so terrified that people are going to, you know, give you shit and they're going to be right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and also the problem about being a fan is that you're the mark for what a, you know, a short film should be is like astronomically high, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it has to be perfect, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I made a couple of short films and they were all like dark, funny, but dark, um, Number one was about like it was like vampires, but not like vampires in the sense of um there was a George Romero movie called Martin. No, amazing movie, yeah. Yeah, about a, a kid who thinks he's a vampire. Mm-hmm. So it was taking that kind of concept, but it was like a um like a kind of that with like man bites dog kind of black and white mockumentary following two guys like that around Arizona which is where I was leaving at the time. So it was kind of like this black and white verite type thing of these two guys who were idiots. Um, but you, and you never do, there was never described why they were this way or why they were doing it. It was just, we were following these two dudes and, um, and, uh, 
it was really strange. And it was one of those things like I did it and then I showed it, you know, to my little class and they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I remember I showed it to the girl I was dating at the time and she was like, Oh, um, anyway, what else do you want to watch Seinfeld? You know what I mean? And you were just oh. like, uh, and so I didn't finish it. I didn't pay to have like, I just, you know, I didn't have like a sound mix or, you know, I didn't, you know, do any color correct, you know, I, I didn't correct yeah. the picture or anything like that. And no one <clears throat> ever seen it. So like, cause that's the thing with Barry is like, you're just so fucking assured as a director. And it's like the first shit you directed, like other than these short films, like these things got to be amazing. Like these people were idiots. No, not. I think they're pretty bad. I think what happened was, was between making those and, and directing Barry, I got a lot of confidence that, um, I, well, one, I got a ton of ex- real world experience from pa on sets and seeing how movies were made to working as a post-production production assistant, um, so I can see how things are edited and like living in those worlds, you know, um, and, and just being like the low guy on the totem pole forever. Uh, and, you know, but loving it. And then, um, and then, uh, getting Saturday Night Live, which then I was like trial by fire of like, all right, now you're in charge of your idea, you know? And so when you have a sketch on SNL, it's kind of like when, you know, Chris Rock told me that he's like, you can direct a movie because it's no different than SNL. It's like, you go to like all the department heads, you're telling them what you want, you know, it's your vision and you got to like, just put it up. And, and, and I was like, Oh yeah. You know? And, and so by the time Barry rolled around, you know, we, we had a meeting about, you know, with HBO and they said, Hey, we'll do the pilot. Who do you think should direct it? And I hadn't talked about this to Alec Berg. I don't think I just went, I'll do it. I, I want to do it. And they were like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, I, I want to do it. I want to do the pilot. And they were like, <laughs> okay, well let's think about that for a second. We'll let you know. And then I guess they called Alec Berg and was like, can he do this? And Alec, he had no idea, but he was like, yeah, he's like, I'll be on set. It'll be fine. So I really have him to thank because if he hadn't said that, who, if, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. was huge. And um, so they gave me a chance to direct the pilot and, um, and uh, Brandon Trost, who's a dr- great director in his own right now, he, he, he shot it. And I just remember him going like, wow, you're like really prepared. And I was like, I've been wanting to do this for, let me look, yeah, 28 years. Yeah. <laughs> Like Rudy, I've been busy yeah, for my whole life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was Rudy. Like Ned Beatty was there, and John Favreau. Like, Look how little he is. Like while I'm directing, <laughs> he's so little. <laughs> it feels like though that the, the type of movie that Barry would be if it was like a feature, like obviously a couple feature films, but like as a movie, it's like, like you're talking about like man bites dog. Like obviously it's, it's technically on a different level than some of these films, but like, you know, like it feels like it's part of that world, like Lahaine, like, like just like this, this era of filmmaking where you could be really adventurous and be super dark and comedic and, and try like weird things. Yeah. Tone is the biggest thing with Barry of just and and what you just described yeah because it's funny now i watched uh 
I think Man Bites Dog was on Criterion Channel or something or someplace, and I watched it again. And I and again, we talk about you know, you get older, you're just like, oh my god, this is awful. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could barely hang on to it. You know, I was like, I, I watched, I like, wait, what the fuck? This is really fucked up. You know, and um, and uh, uh but you know, it, it is the thing. What I've learned is the tone of it, but so much of it is just the um bringing yourself to it, you know what I mean? Uh, bringing emotions that you've had or bringing, you know, uh, some emotional honesty to it and, uh, and, and, and learning about writing, which I, I, I basically did from, from just hanging out in the South Park writer's room and at Pixar. And, you know, I just being on SNL, it like kind of gave me this nice thing where I could afford going like, Hey, can I just sit in while you guys write? inside out and pitch stuff and just see how you guys work. And, and on South Park, I did that for like 10 years. I mean, those guys wrote the show, but you know, every once in a while I'd pitch a joke or something like that, but it was mostly just, I wouldn't be able to do Barry if I hadn't had that experience, had that experience of watching them build a story. And I went, Oh wow. It's like this real balance of logic and emotion and how much of themselves they put into something like South Park, which some people might not think, you know, but, um, and it was really inspiring to me. And so, uh, and so in doing Barry, it was the same thing of like, uh, taking, you know, my SNL experience to a degree. Um, and instead of making a show about, you know, a guy who's really anxious, but he has, he has to go on live television, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It was like, oh, what if it was like a hitman who wants to be an actor? You know, yeah. you can kind of put those same emotions and and feelings into it, you know. And um, and I just feel like people like when just when you're genuine in in life, you know, uh, people feel it when they're watching something too. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're being told a story. You know how you know what I mean, and I'm, I'm sure it's yeah. the same with a song or something. You just can feel that it's genuine. Do you know what I mean? And it's, there's no, there's no airs behind it. There's no bullshit. You're like, Oh, you know, and everything from, you know, a Kurosawa movie to, you know, a bad brain song or Kendrick Lamar or fucking, I don't know, Taylor Swift. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. you just have like a visceral reaction to something going like, Oh, I like that, you know, cause it's, there's no, it's genuine. So you try to do that with Barry, but at the same time, it's it's a balancing act. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. It's, it's like you were saying, you know, way back at the beginning, like, there, there's a, like, we're, I guess we we're both talking about, like, sort of the authenticity of a Punisher, you know? And, like, yeah, yeah. when it's that honest, like, there's no edifice, there's no, like, you know, I'm going to hide behind this to reveal this later to you. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, there's just, like, an emotion that just rings true on stuff. Like, yeah, Barry, like, you know, like that's the, like, I, you know what? My wife's like, we got to watch this. And I'm like, ah, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll watch it. You know, like, I don't know, like, like, we'll, we'll give it a chance, you know, and then watching it, like there's like, you're saying it's, there's this authenticity that just comes across in that character that I guess that's where it comes from. You're writing as yourself, obviously not as yourself, but yeah, no, I they haven't found the bodies yet, but yeah, I've, I've only killed a couple. No, but uh, no, but it, it is that feeling of, of, um, yeah, I remember moving, you know, when I got SNL, I mean, that show very much is like about SNL, 
you know, mm-hmm. like getting to a community and going, gosh, I really want to fit in here and, you know, and, and falling in love with the community. And, but then having like this feeling of I'm inadequate, but this, like, I, you know, you know, I had, I'd taken some improv classes and was performing in a backyard with my friends. And now I'm with, you know, Kristen Wiig, who's on main stage at Groundlings and Andy Samberg, who's lazy, you know, before lazy Sunday, I mean, just the boo was a, was a big thing and, you know, mm-hmm. all the lonely Island stuff. And then Sedacus was like, you know, I, I had heard about him from when, you know, he was a, in second city in Chicago. And, and, and so it was this, you know, the class that I came in with, I did have massive inferiority complex. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of that feeling is in Barry in places, you know, just wanting to, to, to fit in and, and just hold on to this going, God, please. Like my first four years in SNL, you're just like, please don't fire me. You know, <laughs> just please don't fire me, you know? And, uh, and, and so, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, uh, so it is interesting to be able to, to, to do it that way, yeah. you know? And then, but I don't know if you have this with music too. And it's funny because it's like, I'm telling you all this stuff, but I didn't realize this stuff really until we were done with the first season of the show. Like we're in, like it's airing. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of like SNL. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you're like, oh, now I know where this is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, holy shit. Wow. How did I not see that? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, there's an honesty you can have when you're writing in a character. Like, you know, anytime that I'm not writing as myself, I feel like it could be, I talk about shit that I would never want to talk about, you know, yeah. as me. Yeah. I don't want to kill anybody just so you know, and I'm not into like that stuff. It's more like no, I don't. wanting to belong. <laughs> no, I definitely never got that. Yeah, uh, like people pleasing. It's like a guy who's like a, you know, people pleaser, you know? And it's funny that he's like this killer. So instead of like making a show about, you know, me as like this, you know, people pleaser or whatever, it's like, Oh no, what if he was like, the worst killer in the world, but it, but it was me. And that would get a laugh from people. <laughs> like, I'm not going to play a character. It's going to be a version of me, <laughs> like kind of weird, like awkward guy, you know, giggly, awkward guy. <laughs> and Alec Berg, I have to say, I mean, he co-created the show. And so what I'm doing, Barry is like kind of a, a combination of both of us, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Um, so he's the killer. He's the murderer. He's the killer. No, <laughs> but Alec is very kind of like uh, reserved, you know, and thoughtful where I'm more of a spaz. And yeah. I think just inherently when I was doing the, the like, I didn't even think about how I was going to play him until the very first day of shooting. Cause I was so anxious about directing. And then it was like, Oh, right. I have to play a, a part, you know? And then, um, and then just instinct. Cause I've been hanging out with Alec so much, just kind of made him quiet. I was just like, let's cut all these lines and just make him kind of like, listen, you know, you just don't know what is happening. And we tried that. And Alec, of course, he's like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I really like that. No, that's good. Did, uh, I've kept you forever. I, I should oh, apologize. Dude, yeah, this is awesome. Are you kidding? No, I'm going to blast. This is, in- 
this has been incredible and I could uh, talk to you forever, but like at some point, would you come back for a part two? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, sure Cause I, I promise uh, I won't keep you too much longer, but like, yeah, you've had... I, yeah, I, I didn't realize I, it's what, like, it's like midnight there, right? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't sleep anymore now because the kids get up at five in the morning and yeah. uh, I, I got to do the homeschool thing until nighttime. So I just basically work at night now. So uh, I'm okay. like, All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's only eight 45 here. So no, I, and I promise I won't keep you too much longer, but no, like, no, I'm fine. You've had like the, uh, like my dream career you know like the uh the, like the, like obviously the addition of saturday Night live and 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 barry and stuff like that but i mean just like doing you know like you're saying the opportunities that are afforded to you where you just go around and you start doing shit like you're on aqua teen hunger force yeah, like yeah. you're you're a voice consultant for bb8 yeah well that was i gotta say bb8 was very much i did a voice for bb8 so i think I don't know the, the, I don't know the full events, how it happened, but I know Ben Schwartz did something. And then when I was brought in, it was like, do you want to try something? Like he was actually saying stuff. And mm-hmm. then they brought me in to just make noises. So I did this noise thing uh, and just did like ADR watching the movie and just doing all these noises. And um and like Gary Rystrom was there. So I was kind of just freaking out because the sound mixer is Gary Rystrom who did like just everything cool. Like same Pratt Ryan. He did that opening sequence the same Pratt Ryan. Like he's a genius. So I was like, holy shit, it's Gary Rystrom. And um, and uh, he was really cool. And, uh, and then I didn't hear anything. And then I'm seeing like billboards for it up and everything. So I'm like, well, I guess it's, you know, they didn't use my thing or whatever, you know. And then JJ calls me. He's like, Hey, can you come in? Um, I'm thinking, Oh, they're going to ask me to do some more stuff. And I came in and I go, yeah, that thing you did, it doesn't work. And I was like, Oh, okay. And he goes, but we figured it out. It's you, you got to talk into a tube, like a, the um, talk box, Peter Frampton talk box. Yeah, yeah. And that's hooked up to an iPad. So what you're hearing is me talking into a talk box and just going, like that and he's manipulating it uh on this weird app that he just found on an ipad that makes noises like a weird percussion app yeah and literally anybody can do it (laughs) so the fact that he gave me a credit was him just being like oh i just i'm gonna be you know like hey here here you go man you know it was like he was just being nice you know yeah but now one family to another kind of thing yeah, but now you're set for life. You can just do Star Wars conventions forever. Yeah, as forever. The BBA. Yeah, just, yeah, just sitting there, just like smoking, like big beer gut. Like, what is it? Who is this? To Nick. Wow, wow. <laughs> do it in my phone. Do it in my phone. Yeah, just hanging out with like all the fucking Jawas and stuff and just going to like strip clubs. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, no, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> the, the convention circuit though once you get on that thing that's a gravy train oh you know? man it is a gravy train that's true i'm giving it shit but actually those guys make so much fucking money and it's yeah. actually i've gone to those things and it's awesome yeah oh i definitely i brought my it's kid to awesome. one it's, it's so fun awesome. it's so much fun I'm, I'm giving it shit but actually it's like one of the coolest things ever and i'm like i would fully go to one of those things yeah. I, would, I imagine though it'd be like working at the carnival like after the yeah. first couple of days it becomes just work 
Yeah, I mean, I've done the Comic-Con thing, like for it too, and some other things where you go there and you sign stuff. And after a while, it is, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. What What's your favorite horror movie? Like, you don't have to be like, I don't pick an all-time favorite thing, but what are some of your favorites? Horror films, man. Um, okay, so... I mean, the, the Evil Dead, the Sam Raimi Evil Dead mm-hmm. had a massive influence on me. Huge. When I saw that movie, the next day I picked up my dad's video camera and started, you know, chasing my sisters around going, wow, wow, you know, and all that stuff. And actually like a very amazing, virtuosic movie. But the reason I love it so much, like a punk record you could tell it's a bunch of 19 year olds out in the woods of Tennessee who are just figuring it out as they go along and just have tons of like there's Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Rob Tappert and Tim Sullivan. All these guys are just like super excited, Mm -hmm. you know, and the story that they shot it. And then the actors were all like, we got to go back to college. And so everybody left and it got down to where it was like three dudes in a cabin with Bruce, (laughs) Bruce Campbell making him, do all these things for months and months and months. Cause they were just like, we want to get this right. And then, and then that the assistant editor was Joel Cohen of the Cohen brothers. And like, it just, it's so cool to me, you know, that all these things that I grew up loving are kind of in one thing. And then the crazy thing to cap it off is that Jesse Hodges, who, who is in Barry, uh, she plays Sally's agent in mm-hmm. season two, her mom is Ellen Sandweiss in Evil Dead. Whoa. So she was like, Oh, my mom was in this movie, The Evil Dead. And I was, and I'm like, Is she Ellen Sandweiss? And she's like, Yes. I'm like, One, that seems awful. And I'm sorry, she had to shoot that. And she started laughing. I go, But two, I had a fucking poster of her on my wall <laughs> from like the age of like, she's the woman, you know, I think that's her coming out of the, you know, out of the ground, you know, the ground, that's right. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never met her, but I'm like, if I met your mom, I would just totally, I would just shut down because I just think she's so good in that movie. And she's the best zombie in the movie. And I don't know. I just, I just, that movie had a huge influence on me. And also it's funny that Joel Cohen was the assistant editor on it. Cause if you watch blood simple, there's sound effects. You can tell they're using the same sound effects library because they're, they're (laughs) using a lot of the same sound effects. So the same dog bark, there's a fly noise. There's like all these things where you're like, that's the same can that they're using the same shit. They're recycling the sound effects from evil dead. That's rad, you know? And, um, and, uh, uh, so that one was massive. And then I won't go into detail, but uh, on the other ones, but as as much, but it's like the haunting, uh, Robert Wise one, Mm -hmm. um, George Romero's, uh, night living dead and dawn of the dead and Martin, um, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, and I would say uh, uh, I'm probably missing a massive one in there. And I'll, I'll this is the problem with this. It's like, yeah, I'll be in bed tonight. And I'll go, oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't ask for the definitive well, Texas list. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Th- those would be like off the top of my head, just the ones that had a big influence on me that I would. And, and any And to be honest, any sort of, grade monster movie I, I like I love hammer gothic horror films I just kind of went on a 
tear of those like about a month ago because it's pandemic so i was like i'm just gonna get all those old hammer blu-rays i have and sit and watch those and you know i just they're great you got you kept all your blu-rays Oh yeah, man! I have everything. Oh, Blu-ray. Sorry, I was thinking Laserdisc for some reason. Oh, oh Laserdisc! I just said old Blu-rays. I should have <laughs> said Laserdisc because Blu-rays are, are new. So I, I think what I, uh, yeah, no, I should I shouldn't have used old. I think okay, sorry, no, head, I think in my head I was thinking old movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, um, I got all my old old movies on Blu-rays. Is what it should have. I should have said that. <laughs> I well, no, I'm the one. I'm the one who went to the oldest technology, the most arcane technology for film, <laughs> home view no, as possible. No, I never had laser discs. I remember my friend who I was into punk with, a kid, a guy named Clint. His he had like a his aunt had a roommate, and that guy had like this giant laser disc collection. And I remember I watched Night of the Living Dead there for the first time, and a movie called Liquid Sky. Oh yeah, which is very strange, kind of like woman like it's like a alien like total new wave kind of uh movie and it's like an alien who who kills people with orgasms or gets <laughs> strength from humans orgasms but she's like it was so early 80s and it's a german movie but it was shot all in new york and i remember watching that just being like what the fuck is this this is great <laughs> and there's there's got to be like a huge collectible market for those old like criterion laser discs that were coming out oh, like yeah yeah and it's hard too like i was just watching this um the criterion channels watch this great japanese noir movie called uh youth of the beast i think it was called um and i was like oh is this available on disc because i'm one of those people i do the same thing with music now where it's like streaming's great and everything but i'm so anxious that it's gonna go away i want to like have a hard copy of it so it's yeah. like i get really freaked out and go like well i need to track this down um and then uh and yeah they but they it had an old criterion disc you know and it was like laser disc i was like whoa it's kind of rad i don't have a laser disc player but i kind of just want to own that <laughs> you know but what are going to become like records? Like it's like, cause you get the art, yeah. bigger, you know, everything about it. Yeah. And some Blu-rays try to like, I just got that um, criterion Bruce Lee collection. Um, and it came with like a big poster. Like they try to do some of that. I feel like, and with some of the, especially criterion and, and places like that, where they, they try to make the art really cool. And, and they do, I mean, it's, it's really, I love that company. I feel oh, like yeah. I'm, I feel like I've just all my money just goes to them. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever read the uh, creation book cinema series that they did? Like they did one on uh, they, they did one on cinema of transgression. They did one on oh, feminist no. films. No, uh, no, no. What are they? they, called? they it's, it's, uh, I guess it's creation cinema series was the name of the series but like the one to get is killing for culture which is all about you know death movies and um it's it's a fascinating book and very well written and just sort of uh you know really analyzes films that no one ever analyzes like that like from an actual cinema studies kind oh, of perspective cool. no i love stuff like that i mean i yeah it's a it's a it's a uh sickness 
it just is. It's like, I just, I, you know, I have to just I'm constantly, you know, you know, same thing with music too. It's like, if I find out any sort of band documentary or music documentary or book, like, you know, like any oral history on a band, even if I'm not into them, I'm like, I just, I eat that stuff up. Mm -hmm. Love it so much. Um, Yeah. I really like that, that joy division oral history book. I thought was cool. I, I loved my one of my, you know it's funny because like you know not that it's a documentary but like as far as uh, music do- films go I think twenty four hour party people is like my favorite yeah. one of my favorite films ever but certainly one of my favorite music movies how good is that guy is Ian Curtis so good I wish he was in control I know he was I mean the guy in control is like but like that guy was like I was like how the fuck that guy was amazing. I just yeah. The first time I saw him, I was like, what this, like, how is that like people not just losing yeah. their minds over this guy's portrayal of Ian Curtis? Like he was phenomenal. And I don't know if it's on the audio commentary or if it was something I read in like uncut magazine when it came out, but like, apparently he had like a super severe case of pneumonia while they were filming. Oh, wow. And so like a lot of his acting is the fact that he's also, like you know feverish or just coming off pneumonia or something like that like he was just sort of dealing with illness while they were making it and then the crazy thing he was in that last mission impossible movie whoa i gotta watch that <laughs> he's the, he's the guy in the last mission impossible movie that they try to like like he's going to jail or something and his he, they try to like um spring him from like an armored car and it turns into this giant chase. I want to say through France or someplace. I don't remember, but no that's this list that I'm, I'm coming up with right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, he, he was, he, you know what? He was in a really good movie. That actor. Well, um, Oh, the guy who directed the nest, which was a movie that just came out, Sean Durkin. He directed a, a movie, um, God, called Southcliffe. Oh, whoa, I haven't seen and that. That guy either. is in it. Um, uh, and uh, Sean Harris is the guy we're talking about. Um, but Sean Harris, uh, oh, it looks like he's in a couple of Mission Impossible movies, but he, he, um, he's in this thing called Southcliffe that's like very, very, uh, it's about a, um, uh, like a like a like a mass shooting uh thing but it's incredibly well done it's very disturbing but it's it's really really well done where it takes a, a subject like that and it takes out all the kind of um action motifs mm-hmm. of it you know because like that's mm-hmm. the thing with barry is like to keep the because i remember watching southcliffe and talking to or DP about it and some other people. And it was just like, God, if you went this direction with the violence and Barry, it's just really disturbing. And I just don't think we can go that way, you know, because it's so real. And I was like, God, I really appreciate it though. And so we're, we're always dialing things back, you know, it's just like anything, like you go too far and then you get an edit and you go, you know what, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to kind of lighten this a bit or just not use that footage or this footage or whatever, you know, um, you're always trying to find that equal 
you know, that balance. Um, Hiro Murai, that director, who's a genius, he, he directed some of our episodes and he, he's so good at that. He finds just the right amount of violence. Um, he did the stash house sequence in episode five of season one, where me and this, that guy Taylor just take out that mm-hmm. stash house. And he did such a good do- job portraying the violence in that, that it, it wasn't, it was, it just wasn't, you know, it's just trying to find a way to make it less actiony. And then, you know, even in something like that Ronnie Lilly episode we did, which was crazy, it was still like, you're trying to find a way of like, okay, how, you know, it, it comes down to even like, Oh, no music. Yeah. You know? And then that gives it something, you know, mm-hmm. or like we have a big one shot in that. And the DP was like, well, if you just let them cross in and out of frame, because we were feeling like, Oh, this feels kind of show offy. And it's like, well, if you have them cross in and out of frame, uh, and the camera's always like a couple beats behind them. It might give it a right feel. And it did, it kind of makes it more like if the camera's like judging them, yeah. you know, like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Like, I don't want to watch this, <laughs> you know? And ah, like, oh, this is good. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you're always trying to find that feel, um, to things. But I thought Southcliff, that Sean Durkin movie, he just, he really did it in that one. If you can find it, I, I, I was really knocked out by it. It's a, and I, actually, I'm calling it a movie. I think it's a series, like a Channel 4 series. Oh, like a miniseries type thing or like an ongoing? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think it was like a, it might have been based on a true story, but um, it, but just fewer discretion. It's very, it's very disturbing, but incredibly well done, I thought. I'll have, to, I'll have to balance it out with something super, super light. But <laughs> that sounds like something I should check out. But Well, you know, you know, you know what helps me is... Uh, my kids and Disney Plus, they have all the old Simpsons on there. So we've, I've just been tearing through the old Simpsons. Yep. And just, but that's my like old Simpsons, or if I can find like that Saints documentary, you know, or something <laughs> yep. like that, you're just like, oh, okay. This is, this, this balances out the, like mass shooting thing I just watched, you know, or whatever. Have you seen that? Yeah. There's a show on, on, uh, it's like a British show as well that's uh, about people that just create, uh, things to help people like it's a, a documentary Ooh. series and every episode they'll like you know help a guy who who lost his ability to speak uh you know oh, wow. create an app for him so he can talk to his kids again but using like samples of his voice from videos that they found or something like it's just wow and every episode it's like the oh, ultimate God. palate cleanser after you watch something really violent because oh my god it sounds like i'll be bawling after i watch something like that but, oh that's really sweet. it's really sweet but in like a way that everyone's life is slightly improved by the end of the show <laughs> and you're like oh okay i can Okay, no one died. Yeah. All right, good. That's okay. No one's sad. But like, it is the opposite of what I just watched. Okay, good. But that's the thing about that Ronnie and Lily episode. The the tone, like you're saying, that tone in that episode is just so perfect. Because like watching that as a parent, it's like, where the fuck is this gonna go? Like, yeah, that's what you wanted to just ride. That I I love that moment where he he's leaving and she's walking in because I feel like the audience goes, oh no. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and then you just don't expect that she's like this, whatever feral mongoose or whatever, you know, uh, Stephen calls her, um, or I don't know, someone calls her that. But it, it's uh, that was a fun one to make. That was really a blast, and that was like also is just nice to just not have to just for a change of pace to not be like we're always so worried that the the story is 
is being um, handled right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's like each scene has like information that is very important that down the line is going to come back or be referred to. So you're always, you know, while you're doing scenes, sometimes I have to be very, uh, you know, aware that sometimes I can be doing a scene with Steven Root, but I'm like mouthing his words along going like, is that the right line? Is that how we should do it? You know, <laughs> Steven's like, Bill, stop it. You're, you're mouthing along with my lines. I'm like, I just don't think that's the right line. And I'm like, Alec, is that what he should say here? You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, you know, so it was nice to do an episode that was just insanity and you didn't have to worry about that too much. And, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And and you get to like try stuff, you know, is like getting to try like wire work and there's so much CG in that episode that you don't know about, you know, and like hiding stuff and speeding things up and you know, there's all types of stuff in that 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 is really cool. Like it feels like an episode like that would require like a well, it did like a lot of trust from the audience. Like it's something like you couldn't have done that in the first season because it's like now yeah you you kind of want people to feel like oh i get this and i'm comfortable and then you want to take the rug out from under them yeah you know and, and we're writing season we just finished writing season three we're doing a big rewrite of season three and now we're writing season four and and you know you have those things you know where you, you know it's kind of like you just want to make sure that whether it is an episode like that or a tone or something a character does or just something you just, it, it feels good that things are, are changing, you know? Um, but like we were saying earlier, it's like, I can't words and stuff to, they don't stick in my brain at all. Like I'm never, I'm always like, a, a, like, you know, like those British people or like someone like Nick Cave or whatever, you know, they just love words, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like they just come from very literate community. I just feel like very stupid anytime I'm around anybody from from outside of the United States. <laughs> well, not us in Canada. We're just like your your little brothers, so don't worry. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> it's like, uh, but you know, and and I just don't have that. But I love telling a story like that. You know what I mean? Where you. And that's one where you, you write it and instead of, you know, the usual process of writing a, a script, that was one that I went into the writer's room and I just told it to them like beat for beat, you know, mm -hmm. and they came up with stuff that was really helpful. Like uh, Tal Clade, one of our writers, initially the opening that I had was Barry breaking into the house and hiding and then the whole thing was him in his closet and hearing the guy, you know, him in the closet and hearing the guy come in and all this stuff. And then uh, Tao was like, no, you should take it from Ronnie's point of view. And, and that's, that was so much better. And, you know, in that discussion, the idea of Fuchs gluing his hands to the steering wheel came out of that, you know, just, just, just bullshitting and going like, okay, but I want her to bite his face, but why doesn't he just pull her off of his face, you know? <laughs> and then we were just talking. It was like, oh, what? Maybe he glues himself? Well, how would he do that? And it's like, what if he had super glue and he tries to super glue his wound? Oh, okay, that, you know, it's like a fun puzzle that you can, you work backwards from it, you know? It, that, him gluing his hands to the steering wheel solely came from, I wanted her to bite his face, and Alec went, why wouldn't he just pull her off her face? 
you know, pull her off his yeah, face, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah. So, you know, you have stuff like that, or, you know, that the last episode of the season two where Barry has a big shootout in the monastery, like when we were shooting the exteriors, it started raining and we had to shoot and I was just bombed about, it. I was like, ah, oh, man, it's raining. And, uh, God, well, I hope it keeps raining. And then you have these, well, we have to bring out rain towers for the other, and, but luckily it just kept raining. And then Kyle Ryder, our, our, our editor, put rain over all the interiors scenes in it. He's like, well, it's raining. And he put rain in it. And suddenly the whole thing came to life in a really cool, eerie way. And it was totally by accident, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my favorite part of this process is when you just something like that happens or uh, Sarah Goldberg, fellow Canadian who plays Sally, uh, she, you know, she can rattle off, uh, you know, we had a scene with that Alec and I had written with the two of us that just didn't really, it was fine, but it was kind of just flat. And then we came, I was like, you know, Sarah has the ability to like talk incredibly fast and she can remember a lot of dialogue what if we just took all this information and just put it like have Sally say it all, you know, and one long, like three page rant. And I think I texted her saying, Hey, would you ever want to, you know, I think we were going to give you a scene. It's like three pages and you just like no punctuation. (laughs) And she was like, Oh yes, please. (laughs) You know? And I mean, it's a showstopper, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, she just kills it, but you know, it's the, that's what's so fun about this process. Those are the moments that I'm just like, Oh God, I love doing this. This is just, it's like that for me is a, was a, you know, a great um, it going back to like you're 10 years old and you're watching movies and stuff and you know, well, well, this has been the best bill like this has been unbelievable and i have like literally two more questions <laughs> i've kept you oh no dude dude no go ahead no don't don't worry about it man i'm i just i really have kept you for this might be the longest episode ever <laughs> you don't have to do the whole episode maybe you can split it up into two parts. no way are, t- are you kidding like this is a, a robbie brookside might top us but i think we might i still have two yeah. more questions so robbie brookside okay. might lose his title um but um i one thing i was wondering about that you kind of keep mentioning is is like sctv and kids in the hall like did was that stuff shown on tv like kids especially sctv oh yeah oh yeah yeah sctv I my memory of SCTV as a kid was the reruns of it would be on after Saturday Night Live. So you'd watch Saturday Night Live and then you would at one in the morning SCTV would start, you know. Um, But I was obsessed with SCTV. I just was fully obsessed with it. And then when it came out on DVD, like in 2004, I just I mean, I was obsessed with those those DVDs. You know, I've watched all of them and uh and then getting to meet a lot of those people and asking them questions and and, you know just being such a fan um i had an amazing moment where i got to go to martin short has a christmas party most years i went to his christmas party and pretty much everybody from sctv was there and so i'm over in a corner i was just like uh there's dave thomas (laughs) and and Catherine O'Hara and Andrea Martin and, you know, Eugene Levy and Paul Flaherty. I mean, I was just like, what the 
Uh, I just was like, my head's going to explode. So yeah, I, I, I was a massive, massive SCTV fan and, um, and, and massive kids in the hall fan. Huge. Like I would tape them off television. Um, you know, would stay up late and tape them all and, and knew that like knew some of the bits by heart. And like I said, like when I met the only kid in the hall I've met is, uh, is Kevin McDonald. And so, but I, I was so, I mean, I was just trying to, be, I, I couldn't, again, I was punishing him. I just could not, <laughs> I could not keep it together around him. And I was like, who came up with the Citizen Kane sketch? You know, <laughs> I go to this day, I can't say Citizen Kane without going Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. <laughs> you know, I, I like growing up in Toronto, like they were around, like, so you'd see them and, wow. and it was like giants walking the earth. Right. Like, yeah. and oh my God, just like, you know, having weird run-ins with, with you know kevin mcdonald walking home from school one day and i see him on the street and i just stare at him and he's just staring at me and then breaks into a full sprint like just (laughs) (laughs) it was the funniest thing i've ever seen or like get away from me i'm like this i think he was messing with me in a fun way but it was still like if he was serious he was a great comedy with the seriousness there or like you know dave foley i'll add this part up but trying to buy buy eating trying to buy e off me i didn't sell e but at a party one time like yeah it's 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 amazing how yeah like that show is just so good and these people are just like around and then all on um my kids watch um show called odd squad yes and they're on it and there's one episode that was like a mystery like a you know uh like this like kind of Agatha Christie mystery thing and the whole group was in it and I got to my daughters I was like that's the kids in the hall I'm sure most of them were in it um maybe Bruce McCullough wasn't in it but I know it was Mark McKenna and uh, Scott Thompson and Kevin McDonald were for sure in it and I feel like Dave Foley was in it but um I was like guys <laughs> When you're older, I can show you some of this stuff. It was like some of my favorite comedy of all time was from these guys. And uh, I mean, and and also, I mean, the fact that I think their order of episodes was so high that they just had to fill it with material. And so then you just had these really bizarre sketches that didn't really go, you know, they weren't... uh, I think it, it kind of met, it kind of pushed the form in a way that I thought was was different, you know. Um, thinking specifically, do you remember that where, where Bruce McCall is having a heart attack? Yeah, he's like the businessman where he's like super, and he keep, and it just keeps cutting to him looking at that painting, and he's like, to, and he's giving aphor, aphorisms to himself. Where he's like, today I will I will look people in the eye or whatever, and then it's he ends up pulling his heart out of his body and then pouring coffee on it. Yeah, and. You're just like, what is this, you know? And there's one where Dave Foley, he's like trying not to eat this giant chocolate bar. Do you remember that? That one's incredible. Yeah, and he he ends up taking, he ends up pouring all this like Ajax on it. And he, he goes out in the woods and he closes his eyes and he runs around in circles and he throws it. And he goes back out to find it. <laughs> uh, I remember the one that made me laugh the hardest, and it's so dark. Was the one where Mark McKinney's the uh, politician at the jam tasting contest? 
I don't know if I remember. I got to rewatch that one. I don't know if I remember that. Scott Thompson is his, uh, Scott Thompson's the, um, his, his, uh, uh, Secret Service guy. Okay. And there's all these jams there, and it's at a nice, pleasant, like, fair jam tasting contest or something. And uh, Mark McKinney's like doing that great politician Canadian politics. He's like, well, it was really great, but uh, if I have to say, um, all the jams were quite good, but if I had to pick one, I guess number eight would be had a specific tinge to it. And everybody goes, <gasps> and they go, what? And they go, that jam was made by child molester. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, <laughs> you see in the back, Kevin McDonald in prison like garb handcuffed flanked by two cops and he's like hey i won <laughs> and, oh and mark mckinney's like what the fuck is that guy doing here <laughs> and it ends up ruining his entire political career because they let a child molester enter the jam making contest <laughs> oh my god and i was like oh my god that was so ballsy like i just was like that could not that could have really gone a bad way but it was so stupid and the joke wasn't like about molesting kids or whatever. It was about like a horrible person had made a jam taste, a jam that a politician made. Yeah. <laughs> just the yeah. dumb luck of a politician. It just taught me a thing about where to put the joke. You could put something edgy in it, but the edgy thing, you know, you can't make that thing the comedy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It has to have like the edgy thing, awful thing has to be awful. Mm -hmm. And that's what elicits the laugh. You know, and I learned that at South Park a lot, too. So it's like, and I think that's where so much of comedy goes wrong, especially people trying to be funny on Twitter and stuff and getting themselves in trouble. You're like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, racism is bad. Yeah. Child molestation is bad. Yeah. You're not a comedy writer. Like, stay out of this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's hard. But when they found that thing, I just was like, oh, my God, that was so funny one of the greatest things ever on Canadian television is much music. When Bruce McCullough put out his record, he gave him a night just for like, okay, just program a night of TV. So he performed songs. He did, you know, other comedy bits. Like it was just amazing. Cause it was, wow. it was like, yeah. And, and that's something that unfortunately I think is, is lost in the sands of time, but I would love to watch that again. Wow. Man, I would love to. I mean, that that other sketch he does where he's like, I love this car. I love this car. And the car is falling asleep. The car is falling asleep. The car is falling apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he like he like looks in the rearview mirror and he puts his hands through his hair and all that hair comes <laughs> off. Like he's losing all his hair. And he's just trying to be really positive. <laughs> but like the hood of the car flips up and then the, <laughs> He turns, he's like, I love the sports score. <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to be so positive, but the whole, it's just his whole life's going to shit. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. He, um, oh. It's so funny because him and Scott Thompson are both punk rockers. Oh, really? Yeah. Scott was on the show uh, one time, but I, I, I interviewed Bruce when I was filling in on Q, like this radio show here. Oh yeah. And, and he, yeah. he was on. And uh, he told me he got stabbed at a Dead Kennedy show when he was a kid. Really? Yeah. What? I know. I've been trying to get That's him like, on the podcast ever since. What? That's like two of my like pop culture, like 
like you know yes. bench benchmarks like <laughs> stabbing each other <laughs> it's like two of the biggest pop culture things in my life kids in the hall of dead kennedys <laughs> well i the last thing i'm going to ask you about and uh this might not be true because I, I read it on wikipedia so this is probably bullshit but were you an assistant editor on one of the biggest pop culture things in my life iron chef america yeah yeah whoa yeah, like that first run of episodes or i don't know what season it was to be honest um but i was on i i worked on iron chef america that's the job i had when i found out i got saturday night live i actually was in my edit bay um and my job as the assistant editor was i showed up at 5 p.m and i stayed all night digitizing footage and prepping all the projects so when the editors came in in the morning it was all ready to go for them to edit oh man because the original so let's start going no go ahead no i uh oh i was just saying like it was but it was bobby flay mario batali they were they were on the show Mm -hmm. i had footage one time of bobby flay electrocuting himself um that was awesome and that was actually my very first pitch at SNL was my very first show was hosted by Steve Carell. And I said, uh, I have an idea where you're Bobby Flay and Iron Chef and you electrocute yourself. And, um, and, and then my last pitch at SNL was that was, I said that to Ben Affleck, <laughs> like you're Bobby Flay and you electrocute. So it was like my own little, like, that was my first pitch. And a bookend to it. I did a little bookend to it, but I fucked it up because I announced that it was my first pitch and t- to get like, you know, an awe and no one gave a shit. Because <laughs> they're like, fuck you, you're leaving, asshole. <laughs> did you ever watch did you ever watch the Japanese uh, series? No, I never did, but I just remember um I just I just remember Bobby Flay was really intense and um and then he he electrocuted himself and and uh it was pretty funny. I mean, he was fine and he it wasn't terrible, but yeah. he grabbed into a ladle and was like, ah. <laughs> um, but I tease, man, I don't remember there was all because I also did a show called Napa Style with a guy named Michael Chiarello. And that was also it was just like me watching footage of like close-ups yeah. of like wine being poured and like close-ups of food and like so much iron chef america was just like you know all the iso reels so it's like i don't know how many cameras they shot with but you know it was like six cameras and each of them just had these massive uh god it wasn't three it was digital i can't forget what we called them. it digibeta it was like digibeta type mm-hmm. you know uh they were huge it was like three quarter inch like big tapes and and that that was just my whole world was was organizing that shit and listening to like punk music, like listening to music all night. I mean, that was where I would go to like Amoeba and buy a bunch of CDs and just put those on and just, you know, listen to those while because it was a really boring job. And I was there all night. Mm-hmm. And it was really creepy. It's, it's uh, I think you dig the Japanese run of that show too because they have like these very subtle storylines and and it ends <laughs> like the last season Bobby Flay shows up and wins and, and, and jumps he jumps up on his cutting board on on like the prep counter 
and you would have thought he like took a shit. Like everyone is just so <laughs> pissed. It's so awesome. Yeah, he was like really competitive. Like from what I remember, yeah. he's very competitive. He um, he also that's where like I went to, when I went to that Saturday Live party. It was at his bar, and he was I think Bar America or something. You went to SNL. Uh, it was the one that Arcade Fire had the movie that Eric Wareheim directed afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in that with Zach Galifianakis. We're the, yeah, it was for Reflector. Yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, okay, so that's, that's right after I left the show. That's the first season after I left the show. Yeah, uh, we were like, because they were playing and fucked up played a show that same night in New York. And Owen, who plays violin for them and also plays oh, yeah. violin for us, he was like, okay. yeah. he's like, I can't get you on to Saturday Night Live. And we're like, okay, we were bummed out. But he's like, but I can get you to the after party. And we're like, okay, sign us up. Punishment commenced. Yes. Now, who did you punish that night? Eric Wareheim about being an ink and dagger. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. And then I ended up sitting at a table with Paul Rudd talking about minor threat. Oh, Paul's one of my best friends. Yeah, he's he is a man. He is a music fanatic. He's a guy that can just... And like everybody, I think I gave him apostrophe by Frank Zappa, and he went, Bill, it's not my thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think I also gave it to uh, Tim Kingsbury from RK Fire, and Tim went, "Uh, yeah, no, I listened to it. Um, Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's really... And I go, really? I go, I love those. Really? I grew up on that. And he was like, nah, man, it's pretty bad. Anyway. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to go. I never do any Canadian accent to you. I apologize. No, that, that is not. <laughs> believe me. That's annoying. I'm doing an impression of him. And then I'm in my head going like, dude, you're doing a Canadian accent. To a Canadian. Yeah, but they're from Ottawa. I'm from Toronto. Toronto's like America Junior. Right, right. They are from. They're yeah, like kicks from the sticks. Like, yeah. That was like. Jeremy, I was in Montreal once with at the Montreal Comedy Festival with Jeremy Garrett, and I laugh about this all the time. Where he and I were talking, and this guy came over and he was like, "Hey, man!" And they talked for a bit and walked away. And he goes, "Do you know who that was?" And I go, "No." And he goes, "That was Bon Iver." <laughs> the way he said Bon Iver, <laughs> and I just think about that all the time. <laughs> uh, that was Bon Iver, and I fucking. <laughs> lost my mind <laughs> and literally dude i'll be just driving and i'll be like that was one either <laughs> i just start laughing <laughs> jeremy garrett which you know him as well he was a guest on the show he's one of my favorite humans on the planet one of the best uh, people ever yeah one of the best guys of all time yeah. and i really like he makes these really interesting noise right records and like he sends me i love it and like he He's he's such a great guy. He lives in Australia now, I think. Oh, that's but, uh, amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, and he but he's like um and then when we did test pattern on we did the documentary now uh uh you know, uh Talking Heads band uh he filled in on drums for John uh-huh. Worcester and and he's just the nicest human being on the planet and just awesome. The other thing when I do do impression of him is like, it's like he's like, do you like uh, Jesus Lizard? Yeah, heavy. 
<laughs> it's it's so gnarly to think about like these shows that were to happen in Ottawa in the early '90s that would have had no more than thirty people. Yet here's members of the Arcade Fire and the people that started Vice in this room. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like what a like who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, man. I love I love all that stuff. He's just the best guy in the world. The best dude. Uh, this has been honestly, Bill, the fucking best anytime you yeah man i love it yeah yeah i won't don't keep you as long this has been so much fun man no and and believe me i don't want to keep you as long because this is i could keep going forever but yeah anytime you want to come back please know you're always welcome thanks pal thank you so much thank you bill for coming on the show and holy fuck finding out that bill Hader listens to turn out a punk it puts a little pressure on this thing. You know, I, I do this thing and I pretend that no one listens to it. And then you find out that people are out there that you had no idea were listening. It, it's, uh, oh man. Okay. People are out there. There's stakes at this, <laughs> stakes with this thing. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you to Bill for coming on the show. That was, you know, that's why you do this podcast because you get to meet people that you enjoy the work of. And then you find out that, you know, there's a, there's a commonality and hopefully, hopefully that helped you. If you're someone who suffered with anxiety, uh, or suffers with anxiety, I should say. Hopefully hearing, you know, Bill Hader talk about being on SNL, dealing with that stuff uh, resonates with you because it definitely resonated with me, you know, as someone who deals with anxiety, you know, just to hear, um, yeah, I don't know, just hearing about others' experiences with it, I find helpful. All right, well, Bill will definitely be back for a part two. There's already some some fun stuff in the works for for the future. Okay. That is it. Oh man, <laughs> I'm excited. Let's keep the good times rolling. Let's keep them. Uh, let's keep it. Let's keep it going. Next week on the show, or next episode on the show, coming up in a few days at the end of this week. This is a this is a, another very 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 funny person. One of my favorite. I guess I don't want to say young and up and coming comedians because that seems very patronizing. But one of my favorite comedians right now, Chappelle Lacey, will be on the show. Chappelle Lacey has an incredible podcast, is a very, very funny person, and a deep, deep punk hardcore head. We go we go places that I never thought I'd go to with anyone when talking about punk rock. There are certain bands that I I just had resigned myself at this point. We're probably never going to come up on the show, and here we are chatting about them. This is a good one. Okay, that's it. Uh, thank you to John Worcester for making this happen. Thank you to Tristan for busting your butt. For this thing, and, and thank you to my new buddy Bill Hader. Uh, I really, man, this was super fun. Oh. Uh, remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to protect trans people. We need to help trans people protect themselves, I should say. So go out there and get informed. Read about people's experiences. Read about what people are going through. You know, show up at demonstrations. Show up at events. Let your voice be heard. Lend your voice in, in support of people. Donate money if you can to organizations and causes that need it. And basically just, just fuck fascism. You know, that, that's basically what it comes down to. Let let everyone just live their lives and, and, and enjoy their lives as much as possible. Like, we don't need to, oh, fuck Nazis. Just, just why, why, why do we make it more difficult than it has to be? Also, go there and sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them. So they're just literally dead weight at that point. So just sign that card and help someone else. Go do something creative because it helps. It can it can really help your mental health. And you don't have to show anyone, you know, but, but if you do, maybe it'll connect with other people. 
And then who knows what happens? Like, you know, I, I thought I was doing this podcast really for myself when I started it. I was like, okay, maybe there'll be some people interested in this thing, but this is something that I've been interested in my whole life. And here we are five years later and I'm, I'm making friends because of it. God, you know, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that? Not me, not me. And, uh, wear a mask, wear a mask and protect each other. And I love you. And I'll see you next episode. Huge shout out to my buddy Buddha Blaze. Check out Oil and Flowers. We talk about cannabis. That's it. Bye! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.